0: This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, A new day is beginning. This is the renaissance of men. You are the renaissance.
1: Archaic Rage by Jeff Liberon Some men are thrust into adversity with their first breath, like the harpoon flying towards the white whale. They don't have a choice to cower like the others do, for them, God has decided their lives will be war. Their existence will reek like rotting blood as they plunge the knife in and paint their masterpiece, the mark made with fury-born limbs. They will declare their love for what the world decrees is worthless. They will cherish composers, strength, art, brotherhood, literature, fine whiskey, and they will oppose the lead-crowned kings of nothing and condemn the bourgeois dopes. Their bodies will be thick and brawn, their hemisphered computers will hold the knowledge of dark arts, and they will understand loyalty, honor, and common decency, and confront those who do not show it in return. They will not raise their hands when they wish to speak. They will raise their fists not waiting to be called upon. When they open their mouths, truth will emerge. For this, they will be ridiculed, canceled, and abandoned to the modern wastelands, where they will resist, rebel, and rebuild. Their eyes are ice and fire and the void, where the elements merge, creating something from nothing. Some men are forests. Some men are fire. Some men are rivers. Some men are stone. The men I speak of now are an amalgamation of these qualities, and their mission, their archaic rage, their consciousness, their bones, consume the void between sea and sky. Their birthright avails them to see beyond this shadow world, anti fragile and intolerant. They scoff at the widening fear so many already run from. They are out there, so I say now to the good modern men with soft bellies and weak limbs. Be careful what you say, and what you do, and who you say or do it to. For your head may not remain as a result of your ineptitude, your unwillingness to understand their apathy to your existence.
2: Hello. My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. In the movie Braveheart, the hero William Wallace describes his compatriots as warrior poets, honoring their conduct in battle and winning Scotland's freedom from the English. It's a great title, but it's not exactly accurate. Of his merry band, Wallace was probably the only one who knew how to read or write. What he's saying is that his men fought with bravery, grace, and skill, as poetic warriors, perhaps but that hits different. Still, the title Warrior Poets has a resonance for men. John Lovell's Warrior Poet Society Network has become hugely popular with the name, and it's a phrase I see repeated many times a year in blog posts and more. Why? Because warrior and poet are two things that usually never go together. Most men are trained or raised to pick one or the other. Think of the popular fantasy TV series The Witcher, for example. The main character, Henry Cavill's Geralt, befriends a bard, or a poet, named Jaskier. The two are an odd couple, and to the show's credit, the writers allow a genuine male friendship to become one of the emotional cores of the show. However, it's clear from the outset that the boyish, effeminate bard is no warrior, and the witcher, with his guttural grunts, is certainly no poet. Fuck. If you've listened to me talk for any length of time, you've probably heard me say that men who are skilled at navigating the inner world of emotion and feeling, or the poets, and men who are skilled at navigating the outer world of physical challenge and contest, or the warriors, are not two different men, but one man shattered in half by 150 years of industrialization and war. And it's our task as men today to knit those two back together. I've spent 20 years wondering, what happens when we do? What happens when the poet becomes a warrior? Or, better yet, what happens when the warrior becomes a poet? Which is why I'm excited to introduce my guest this week. His name is Jeff Liberon, and he's a martial artist, voiceover performer, fiction and nonfiction author, and most recently, poet. It was his poetry that brought him to my attention. As you know, I do a series called Poetry for Men, and if you listen to Jeff's opening piece, you can hear how well his words fit to that concept. His writing is vivid, brutal, and real. It revels in graphic violence, blades and flowing blood, dark skies, screams and steel, and the celebration of a crumbling empire's final fatal collapse and the dangerous world its corpse will leave behind. Indeed, they are very much the words of a warrior poet. In our conversation, Jeff and I discussed how his being born without half a leg influences his approach to fighting and martial arts. The notion of a behavioral delivery system for how to communicate that you're a dangerous person before you have to demonstrate it, the limitations of most martial arts trainings in terms of real world applicability, the story of his books, including a description of his novel Onwards, a post-apocalyptic tale of grief and revenge, and finally, a discussion of Roman Maclay's novel Sanction and what it taught him about himself, as it's done for many men, including me. Before we begin, I just want to say you've probably noticed that my releases have slowed to less than a crawl of late. I've been on the road working on a major project for the Renaissance of Men, which I look forward to sharing with you before too long. But until then, after 106 days on the road, I'm finally home, and I'll be getting back on schedule with my podcast and some exciting guests coming up, including one right now. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce the author of Rust and Nail, Iron and Salt, Dust and Ruin, and the novel Onwards, a true warrior poet, Jeff Liberon. Jeff, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today.
1: No problem, Will. Thanks for having me, man. It's a it's a true pleasure to be here. Poetry for men. Who would have thought there'd be a there'd be a podcast for that? But I'm I'm pretty uh pretty excited to be here. I'm interested to get this conversation started.
2: You know, it's it's funny because I usually uh do a lot of research into my guests and 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 structure them and 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 spend time figuring out who I should have. But then our mutual friend Jameson sent me one of your poems and and suggested you as uh, for the podcast. And I read the poem and I was like, yes, instant instant yes. Didn't need to read anything else. Just read the poem and I was like, this is a guy I need to talk to because I could sense that there was so much going on in the poem behind the scenes that I was so interested to find out about. So I was just you know just like let's just jump into it and see where we go. Do you remember what poem it was? It was one of the ones on your Instagram. I can pull it up. Yeah. If- can check I can check my uh, I can check my your feed and and find which one it was. I wish I'd written down ahead of time.
1: yeah, there's not very many there right now. It's not that populated. I was one I'm just curious to see or to hear, yeah what poem was it? I can't think of when Jameson messaged me here and then when I got a hold of you, it was probably shorter, shortly after that post that kind of hit you mm-hmm. that we got in contact, but yeah. I can't remember. Let me,
2: let me pull it up right now. Oh, right on. It was uh, pragmatic men who speak of revolution cannot fathom the oceans of blood. It was that one.
1: Yeah. Okay. I know which one you're talking about. Yep.
2: I mean, as soon as I read, you know, the end of the poem, each man saved as a ripple, start with yourself. I mean, it was just, there was something so resonant about that. Um, because as someone who reads poetry on my podcast, and has you know, I'm doing a survey going back from the start of English poetry, which was around the time of the Renaissance, and working my way slowly, very slowly, forward to the present day. And there are so few poems that I've found that are about violence in the right way. Like there's something going on in the world of men right now where it's this rediscovery of the power of violence. And that that's a bad word, unfortunately. But I think that there's, there's something very important about it that needs to be reclaimed. And so when I read your poetry, I was like, this guy understands how to frame the beauty of violence was my take on it. So I was like, I got to talk to someone who's figured out who's that code. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so I'm excited to have you on to sort of talk about that and your, and your background and, and where, where, where that comes from and where your books come from as well.
1: Okay. I have another poem called violence is a black dog. It's on Instagram. Uh, before we, Start talking about that that word Uh, at the end of that poem. I'm going to paraphrase myself because I can't remember my own writing (laughs) off the top of my head. But if all it essentially says, if all a man can perform is violence, he's a hammer useful to only nails. Hmm. But if he can't perform that duty when required, then he's not going to be able to pound the nails into the wood.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I think I was born missing half of my right leg. Mm-hmm. So I've been uh, an amputee my entire life and growing up with other kids in the school system, I, I, I learned that I had to, if I was going to get rid of bullies, I had to fight them. and I was a pretty wild character. I, I used to, I would stab them with uh, pencils i throw chairs at them. Uh, someday, I remember one time I was on, on my crutches because I couldn't wear my leg that day. And a kid made fun of me. I smashed him in the face with my crutch. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was just what had what did, what did, uh, kind of caused that mentality, I think, is when I was six years old, I punched my best friend out. <laughs> that, was my, that was my first experience with violence, really because i didn't there was no violence in the home i had a pretty aside from you know the challenge of the, the the adversity i was faced with missing half of my limb i had a good child i got a good parenting there was no violence in the home that way but outside of it there was quite a bit uh because i'd have to deal with the other with the other kids um but my i remember my dad said to me when i was six years old just before i hit my friend um, I guess my friend was kind of bullying me that week and it was, I can't really remember what was going on, but apparently I was very distraught over it and I'd be crying and very upset. And my dad said, don't let anyone ever treat you that way ever again. Hmm. And a few days later, the right cross hit my friend in, in the nose, dropped him. Uh, it was the first person I ever punched out. And after that, you know, we were good friends again. It's not like the friendship ended it was just oh i can't say that to jeff or he'll or this will happen i can't do this or else and it was my experience kind of growing up then i kind of had the solution now of uh this reaction of you know action reaction oh okay if someone treats me this way i hit them then they don't treat me that way anymore because they know I'm more powerful. I'm not, I'm not a victim, so to speak. Right. And I would never start any fights. I would never cause any trouble. I would mind my own business. I would never be a bully because I didn't want to be bullied and I didn't like that behavior. Um, and I would often stand up for other, for other kids once I knew I had this ability to stand up for myself and it kind of just grew from there. Uh, in my adult life, I got involved in, uh, the martial arts and that kind of you know calmed me down because now I had an outlet for my aggression uh, and I, I still train all the time and uh, it's interesting now as a grown man um, you know I have had a fair number of violent altercations as a, as a man not the same amount of number you know maybe a, a guy in security would have or a cop or military or you know and I'm not a professional fighter by any means but I do have some experience and I've had experience with armed attackers and people trying to jump me or, uh, and I think that the skill of doing violence against another human being has kind of been, uh, it's kind of been looked at in a bad light because the modern narrative says that violence is only, is only used to do harm. It's not used to protect, it's not used in the name of love so to speak cuz if you have a bad guy and he's going to perform a violent task on you and you can't combat your opponent then you're kind of as a as a grown man you can't perform that you're kind of playing into the the hands of the narrative at that point i think you, i think it's important for men to know and to be able to demonstrate violence when it is necessary, but only when it's necessary. It's not, violence isn't always the answer, but it is certainly an answer that is required in some circumstances. It is the answer to, you know, a handful or two handfuls of questions. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like to write about it because it's kind of like in a way, a therapy for me, Mm -hmm. I can kind of, uh, go back through my memories and 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 lay it all out on the page and what i was thinking at that time and what my philosophy is about training now or um and it's it's i don't just like to write about you know obviously just about violence because that is for me too narrow of a spectrum but i mean it's certainly an element to my writing but uh i prefer to include all of the grit all of the grit that a man has to go through in order to get to that place where he is functional and confident in order to perform the task of violence Mm -hmm. because there's a lot there it's not just all of a sudden i just see red bro and i go nuts it's not like that it if you do it properly and with skill and in fact some men do it with such a skill that it could be considered beauty in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the training to get there is much harder than the violence itself, or, or at least for me, it is um, the, the days and the hours and the years spent kind of perfecting a martial craft. man. at the, at the end of it, it's just so taxing that, If a violent event is about to unfold at this point in my life, I'm just like, Oh man, again, I just, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of beat today. Like I'm tired. I don't want to do it. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been an interesting path for sure. Uh, the main reason I learned how to, or I'm still learning, you know, as much as I can about, combatives and violence and human nature is because uh, I, I can't run away from an altercation
3: mm-hmm.
1: because of my leg. So I don't have the choice of flight. I've got freeze or I've got fight and I don't want to freeze because then I'm going to get, I'm going to be a smear on the pavement. Um, and it also like the training gave me a way to get around my disability. Like it gave me uh. It kind of gave me the ability part of disability. It, I was able to, through the training, kind of overshadow uh, my, congenital, my congenital defect in a way. Um, and I mean, it's always going to be there, but I was able to kind of balance it out when I figured out, when I figured out what's going to work for me martially, what's going to work for me strength, like strength training-wise, what can I do? Because what can I do to be a stronger, more powerful man? but at the same time, I've got this piece of technology on the side of my side of my hip here. That's never going to go away, but how can I affect what I can affect?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, through the, through the training and through um, some events that I probably shouldn't have found myself in, I, that's how I ended up doing it.
2: Do you want to talk about some of those events? Cause that's my, that's where my immediate curiosity goes. You've, you've given me a lot of, really great things to start with, including, you know, what at six years old would, you know, the kind of boy who would actually punch his best friend and how important that is sometimes for, for men (laughs) or boys to, there's this phenomenon between, between boys that they'll get in a fight, like a physical fight, and then they'll get up and they'll like shake hands and be friends afterwards. And I, you know, and, and I think that that's something that our culture doesn't necessarily understand about men and that many men don't understand about themselves, that it's like, it's possible for us to fight as long as we're both honorable in our fighting. It's like, oh, okay, I've, I've earned a new respect for you. And now we're actually closer friends. And it shouldn't seem like that's the case. But I think there's actually something kind of awesome about that in a way.
1: Yeah, all of my close friends have punched me in the face.
2: <laughs> How many friends
1: do you have? <laughs> I have uh, zero. <laughs> I have zero. Uh... I've got a good handful <laughs> <You> know, they've <laughs> they've all punched me in the face because that's just how I'm I, we kind of bonded through training
3: mm-hmm.
1: We've all hit it we've all beaten each other up we've all stabbed each other with training blades in the ribs, we've all you know hit each other, we've all grappled with with each other um, and but we've all laughed together too
3: mm-hmm.
1: and yeah I, th- I think about it and, the, and the, men, the men I trust the most are the men I've trained with.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh because not only do I know them on that level but they're uh, at least capable to a degree right? I'm, I would much rather if I needed help with something if I was like hey I, I gotta go do this and we might not come out of it alive I'd much rather ask one of those guys than um, someone who was like ah, I don't know <laughs> your wrists are looking a little dainty I'm gonna I probably am not going to ask you.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, I just you really find out what men are about, and in with physical training, whether it's weights or calisthenics or martial arts or however you, whatever your vehicle is to make yourself a, a stronger man, if you're training with a crew, it could be small, three, four. I mean I've, I've done mainly garage and backyard groups. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the formal training, formal martial art training for me, wasn't as good. Because everything I was taught, I had to modify. Mm-hmm. I would always be taught things, that I'm like, "That's not going to work for me. I need to do this." And so, with the grad groups, I could make adjustments right away, and I could kind of, you know, learn quicker, make, you know, make the change to the drill immediately, mm-hmm. um, if I needed to do it. But, anyways, going back to training with just a handful of men, I think it's really important to kind of have that. Camaraderie. Even if you only have one guy, if you have one guy that you're really solid with, that you can trust, that you know he's going to have your back, you're doing better than probably eighty percent of men out there. That's just with one guy, because you know you know the two of you together could, you know, take it like at least thirty orcs, you know, coming at you. Mm -hmm. It's it's important to have that. Um, And I've actually just moved to a new town but an hour away from my old one because the, the one I was in, man, it can burn. Like I hate it there. And, uh, <clears throat> I kind of just wanted to dump gasoline on the highway as I was driving up and just let a match, <laughs> but <laughs> it was that kind of place. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, you know, my friends are still back there. I don't know anyone in the town here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all the, all the martial arts gyms are closed. So I just have my own garage gym right now, but in the future, if they ever open up, I want to, you know, go back, go to these new schools and see if I can find any like-minded people and uh, kind of start over in a way or just a continuation really of trying to find those kinds of men. And just because you go to a martial arts school doesn't mean you're going to find them. Yeah, for sure. Because it's because uh, all the martial arts schools now have to be very careful tiptoeing around. Uh, The modern narrative and inclusive including every demographic otherwise they're going to get shut down or Mm -hmm. um they're going to get complaints so yeah it's it's not the environment it used to be Mm -hmm. it's it's, but if you've but if you uh if you can find that consider yourself a a lucky guy Mm -hmm. don't let it go
2: yeah no i i know exactly what you mean because there's um there's a definite there's a difference in spirit between men who who are training because they want to learn a martial art for exercise or for fun or for community or even to get proficient in the art itself like and all those things are fine versus sure. a crew of men and potentially even women who want to become dangerous and to yeah. become, become dangerous you have to be in an environment where it's actually okay to explore your edge and not all modern gyms of any kind including like the big box 24-hour fitness type you know weightlifting gyms really give a space for people in general to kind of explore that and uh, i read a blog post by this guy craig frazier who lives in the uk he's a great writer brilliant writer and and, uh, he's just an artist in so many different ways and he wrote a long blog post which has since been deleted about how uh, men should no longer go to big box gyms anymore under the fluorescent lights and the carpet and stuff like that. Like you should be working out in a dark, dank garage with rusted weights. and, and to really to really experience that. and I read that, I was like, yes, but where can I where can I find that? And it sounds like you yeah. found places in your did you say garage gyms or gra- or garage gyms, I'm not Garage
1: sure. gyms, backyard, training at a park. Yep. wherever i always and i always had my own gym whether it was in my apartment and it was my living room or it was a spare room or now you know it's my garage mm-hmm. uh, i always had my own space because yeah I, mean, I can't go to a commercial gym man like i just i can't do it i i i it, it's almost like a reflex of you know put my put my fingers up and cross them and, get back in my vehicle and go, I just, yeah, I can't go in there. I can't do the people. I can't do the music. I can't do the friendly atmosphere. (laughs) I just don't like it. Yeah. I don't know. There's something. What what was that guy's name? Fraser, Greg Fraser, Uh, Craig Fraser. Yeah. Craig Fraser. Yeah. Craig is right. Craig. Yeah. He knows what's up. It sounds like I'll have to check him out. Oh,
2: he's another another find from, from Jameson who who brought us together. And it's funny that you mentioned this because, you know, Jameson and I had been talking online for over a year now. And uh and so we're both in we're both in Dallas at the moment. And he said, Hey, uh well, I'm going to a jujitsu gym tonight with my the, the guy I'm staying with. Do you want to come oh. meet me there? And I thought about it, I'm like, you know, there's something particularly particularly awesome about the first time meeting someone you've been friends with online, and the first thing you guys are going to do is fight. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. Yeah, we'll come meet you at the jujitsu gym. So like cool. within minutes of meeting, you know, we're throwing each other around on the mat, doing some self defense. You know, I don't really have any skill in jujitsu, and I think it was his first his first time as well. So we got to lose yeah. self defense moves, and which was really cool, but it was it was a, a great way to get to meet him as opposed to like sitting down for coffee or something like that. Just to actually like physically throwing each other's bodies around in space. It was a different
3: experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, was it a Brazilian jiu-jitsu or Japanese? Brazilian. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. It's a great art.
2: Yeah. I've, I had taken a few classes before I left. I live in Phoenix and I'm on the road right now. I had taken a few classes before I left but didn't really get a good sense of, of the art until like one class. And and I've talked about it on my podcast where I rolled with a woman who was a purple belt and she just like took me apart. You know, she was like, (laughs) maybe like eight inches shorter than me. And, and just like to watch her moving really slowly and throwing my body around and stuff. Like, this is so cool. Like I see it actually in real time against my own body and joints and stuff. So that's seeing the window into the room is all I've gotten. Um, so this class was just, you know, it's their usual free intro class. Like we'll show you a few basic moves, kind of what it's about. But um, it, it just seemed to watch other people do it who are really good at it, as I've had the chance to do. It's just, and it's so incredible to watch. Uh, it's there's something really beautiful about it.
1: There is, yeah. There's some incredible athletes out there, far, far better than I'll ever be. And I love to watch. It's like poetry. It's like poetry in motion. Is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, um, it, is that one of your? Is that
2: you practice jujitsu? Are there other other competitive arts that you do as well?
1: Yeah, I've, I kind of what I call is one-legged man style. At this point, <laughs> it's a it's a mix of whatever works for me with with regarding striking and grappling, and then putting in the aspects of what you would find in street violence. I've done a lot of force on force training uh, scenario replication, so multiple opponents, edge weapons. Um a lot of that is in there too. Uh and the the dialogue, managing space, managing the confrontation, using the behavioral delivery system. So really understanding the body language, what might be going on through the person's mind, the telltale signs that there is going to be an attack, how to spot an ambush before they actually ambush you like you're out, you know, situational awareness, a lot of that stuff too. So that's really where the, the fight doesn't start face to face the fight started like 30 feet away and now you're face to face at that if, if you're if you're what you're training i mean i don't want this to become like a martial arts podcast but no i'm uh, this be is something better to... people there'd be better people to talk to than me but if if you're what you're training whatever martial art it might be it can be jujitsu, boxing muay thai any of those really good ones uh If it doesn't include a behavioral delivery system, if you do not understand the precursors to attack, if you do not understand how to talk to an aggressive individual or maintain space, if you can't recognize if he has a weapon concealed somewhere on his body, because a lot of times someone has a weapon concealed on their body, it'll print. Usually people will wear weapons around the waist, right? So if they're wearing a weapon the handle of a knife or a gun might print under the shirt or they'll check it. You know, like you see a guy 30 feet away and he like pats, it's somewhere on his waist or something, or he keeps one hand there or you can't see his hands. One's in the pocket. Always assume there's a weapon involved. Mm-hmm. I got four four assumptions in a, in a fight and only four never assume anything else except these. Uh, there's more than one. They're armed. Their friends are armed and they want to kill you. Hmm my four assumptions and your your training should cover that. Well it doesn't matter what your training karate, kung fu, mma, whatever it is, they need to cover those four aspects. And there's a time for um an omoplata. There's a time for an arm bar, there's a time for a single leg takedown. Um, but in, in in moments where that, that are very dire. Uh, I w- I would say those moments are not the time for quote unquote martial arts.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. Well, this is, and I'm totally okay with this becoming a martial arts podcast, because I think it's, uh, it's so, um, it's a foundation of what you write about, like the fact that you write the works that you do. So I, I've read, uh, uh, is it rust and nails? I think is the is yeah, rust and
1: nail iron and salt. Dustin Ruin, they were my first three books that I wrote. I, I haven't read them in a long time. And I, it represents something. They're not, I mean, I don't like them because I wrote them. I don't like anything <laughs> that I do. But because we're, we're our own worst critic. But a lot of people got a lot of a lot out of those books. And if it weren't for those books, I wouldn't have connected with uh, many of the men that I talked to today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm very uh, pleased that I wrote them. But yeah, in those books I talk a lot about martial training for sure. It's just kind of the lens through which I see the world. Mm-hmm. One of the lenses.
3: Anyway.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. that's why I want to talk about this stuff because and, and why I think it's so foundational to writing, which I which I greatly admire um you know not just not just your your books but your poetry as well and and Jameson spoke speaks very highly of your book on words which uh which which I would love to get a hold of I'm I'm not in a place to be able to read print books at the moment so I get
1: it on my Kindle oh, It's it's on Kindle Oh is it Yeah it is on Kindle Yeah. Amazon you can get it on Kindle there yeah Okay I'll give that I'll, uh, I'll give that a shot That though. book I actually like too
3: so
2: <laughs> Sometimes we have to spend many years until we actually create something that we're
1: we're actually proud of you know what I mean but I, you know, Yeah, that's my first novel. For if you're a fan of Mad Max and The Road, Book of Eli, any kind of, it, you'd you'd probably like that book. There's no zombies in it, so <laughs> you don't like. <laughs> it's not your traditional post-apocalyptic kind of novel. It's it's in an apocalyptic world, but the I guess the way I wrote it and the story is very different from what you find mm-hmm. in your kind of pop culture apocalyptic fiction it's not it's not like that at all
2: just then the, i'm actually curious now because well just to finish the thought though what 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 stands out to me about your writing is that it's clear that you're not writing about violence self-defense combat etc from a position of um i'm speculating about this what comes across in the writing is that this is the way that you live in a way, not, you don't live in a violent way, but you know, these things firsthand in your own body. And and I think it's very rare to find that maybe, and I, I guess I would have to think more about this or do research more about this in, in, in history. You find men who can fight and you find men who can write, but you find very few men who can fight and who can write and who can write about fighting. And so, <laughs>
1: yeah, so, I, I have a, I have a theory that if you are an or an opinion
3: hmm.
1: that I said this in an interview I did with uh, Shane Wrights. I don't know if you follow him on Instagram. Shane, he's from Montana. He had interviewed me. Uh, he has a live, it's called the library podcast. He interviewed me and my opinion, I, I said this on this podcast. My opinion is that if a man is an artist, he should also be a pugilist or some have some kind of martial ability hmm. because then if someone stands in front of you and insults your work you can deal with them physically and they'll be less inclined to insult you because they know that they might get their face caved in (laughs) right and yeah it's like i truly believe that if you can give someone some free dental work because they're in front of you insulting (laughs) your art it's it's kind of like yeah. Okay. Say what you want, but I'm gonna dust you. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Ernest Hemingway who he he beat a man for insulting his work one time because I believe Hemingway was also a boxer. hmm He was. So uh, Jack London too. hmm
2: Those are tough um, men that were great writers
1: as well. Yeah. There's. I don't know if you've read the poem "War" by Jack London, but I, you should read it. I'm a huge. mean, anyone listening should read "War" by Jack London. It's very short, very good though.
2: I am a huge fan of *Call of the Wild* and *White Fang*.
1: Oh my, yeah, great, fantastic book. *Seawolf*. The first half of the book is good. Yeah, first
2: half. You read my mind because I was just actually talking to Jack Donovan, and he recommended that book as a formative book in his life. *Seawolf*. So I've got I've got that on my Kindle as well. So I haven't actually checked out *War*, but I will because that's you know I love I love his writing. Uh, I love his writing so much. And, and to your point about being able to um, being able to stand up, for, literally stand up for your work uh, here. Yeah. I was in Denver, um, I went and visited with these guys who had set up a, a, a sort of a fight club style jujitsu gym during the COVID lockdowns in, in their basement. They converted a basement into a small jujitsu studio with pads on the wall and everything. Yeah. And I was talking to one of the guys who started it. It's, it's called the Green Room for anyone in Denver who's listening. Um, for the, I was talking to one of the guys who started it. And he said, when he started getting into jujitsu, he found that he became more creative because he felt exactly like you said that if someone came at him and criticized him for his work, he would be like, Okay, come at me. <laughs> and I'll yeah. say,
1: It was an unexpected phenomenon, he said. Yeah, you, you're right. You can literally defend your work. Someone comes to take your art, you can take it back. You, know, you can do something to not have it taken from you. Uh, it's, it's a very important thing, in my, in, in my opinion. Do what you can. You know, you don't have to be freaking world champion. Just train, do something.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: If and, and if you're an artist, a lot of time you you spend a lot of time sitting.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a very sedentary lifestyle to be an artist a lot of the time, mm-hmm. unless you're like chiseling sculptures. But I, I don't know. Or if you're painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel or whatever. I don't. But a lot of artists are very sedentary. It's a, you know, they they smoke a lot, drink a lot. Uh, I think, I mean, I write a, and I uh, I like my whiskey, but uh, it, it's just move your body. It's just good for you. It's going to, like you said, it's going to access different parts of your brain as well. And that can carry over into creativity. And martial arts is creative. Oh, yeah. Too. I mean, you're trying to figure out how to get around a certain barrier. And this barrier is a human being in front of you. And you're trying to, you know, how would I respond in the situation it makes you very analytical
3: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: so yeah it's good to sweat good to use your brain in all and in various fields so Mm -hmm. it's not gonna being active and becoming stronger and more capable is never gonna hurt anybody so Mm -hmm. yeah well
2: just it i think it also in my experience it connects me more with myself and makes me more confident in what I need in what I want and need to say. Because when I'm I took boxing for a number of months last year. So I wouldn't say that I got good at it, but I got, you know, I started to feel the beginnings of some amount of proficiency, which was a really nice feeling. And yeah. then I had to learn to trust myself and trust my instincts, sparring in the ring and and against the bag. And once I once I had developed that confidence in trusting my instincts, it fed into other areas of my life as well, including into my creativity, which is so much about trusting my instincts or trusting our instincts, right?
1: Oh, well, for sure. Yeah, I can I can know immediately if what I'm writing is going to be trash, or if there's something there. And it's the same in training. If I'm trying to work a new move, I can immediately tell if it's going to work or if it's going to be, you know, or if it's going to be something to throw in the trash bin as well. Mm -hmm. You have to work on it and craft it a bit. You know, it's not going to work immediately. You got to edit it and go back and review it. Same thing with a a physical movement, but you know that there's something there Mm -hmm. after you've been doing it a while, you can tell that, okay, there's, there's, uh, some functional material here. I'm going to kind of mold it into something less ugly. (laughs) I would say, yeah.
2: When did you, so you started fighting when you were six,
1: basically. <laughs> yeah, I, start, I started <laughs> as your first, first fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't start training martial arts though until I was in my 20s. Okay. I'm 38 now. Okay. Oh, so, 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 in,
2: but in the meantime, in between six and in your twenties, so about that 20 year period, but you still had like an interest in these, in these things a bit, or did, was that something that came on later?
1: Uh, it came on stronger later, but I was always interested in the martial arts. I like, always watched kung fu movies, Bruce Lee. I, I was, but because of my leg, I just knew I would never be able to do what he was doing. So I was kind of discouraged. Mm-hmm. And I tried some karate when I was a kid, actually, for a few years, but uh, just it didn't, you know, didn't translate because of the leg. You know, a lot of moves in martial arts I cannot do, and I'll never be able to do. And that's okay with me now, mm-hmm. um, because I know how to get around it. Uh, but yeah, when I was like mid twenties, I got. Into it seriously,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I was just told myself I got to do. I got to figure this out because uh, if I, you know, if I don't, I'm just going to be a freaking victim. I don't want to be a victim my whole life. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, so,
1: um, yeah. Just the the internet was. It wasn't like there was YouTube where you could watch a bunch of tutorials. So I'd have to go to martial arts schools, and I had a couple of friends that were into it, and they helped me out and uh, I would order DVDs and ha- like mail order DVDs, that kind of thing, just train them with friends or train them by myself when I had when I didn't have if I didn't have anyone to train with that day, I would train it by myself, just working on my form, you know, videotaping myself, getting mirrors, like anything I could do, you know, any kind of training apparatus, whether it's a bag or some kind of dummy to work with, uh, when I didn't have another human around. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just anything I could do to Im- improve my ability. I would, I would kind of, I kind of would, I obsessed about it. I don't do that anymore, but I was obsessive. I was completely enamored with it. I would dream about it. Think about it all day when, I, if I wasn't training it, I would watch videos. If it wasn't training, I would just, it would consume every waking hour. Uh, thankfully I'm not like that anymore. Cause like I was. Fucking crazy to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I I I do. It only consumes about like a third of my day now. Oh, okay. Both the physical and you know thinking about it, or you know watching a a video and taking some notes. I'm like, oh, I'm going to try that next time or whatever, right? But I don't. I don't sit in a restaurant now and um. Think okay, I'm at the table. If a guy came in here, like which fork would I stab him with first? Like I don't, I don't think about, I don't think like that anymore. You work from the, I out. know where the exits are, and I know all the people, and I can see them. But you know, it's a much more kind of uh, passive way of looking at it. I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say. Well,
2: hmm. growing up with a lot of etiquette, you I know that you start from the outside fork in. So
1: <laughs> maybe one way to. <laughs> I stabbed a guy with a fork once, actually, in the hand. Was it your yeah. friend? <laughs> no, he wasn't my friend, and we weren't friends after either.
3: Okay. <laughs> was
1: this at? Was this at a restaurant? I think. I, I Yeah, it was
3: at a
2: pub. Yeah, yeah. It was it okay? Now I got to know. Like, why did you stab a guy in, in the hand
1: with a fork? He was just being rude and drunk. He was at my table, kind of harassing. He was leaning over, and his hand was there, and I took my fork and stuck it right in his hand.
3: Hmm.
1: And he freaked out, and I just left. <laughs> i mean sometimes sometimes you got to do that right like that's sometimes you got to stab someone with a fork. i haven't that's the only time i ever stabbed somebody with a fork. okay okay well, it's better than it's better than a, a you know knife you know what i mean <laughs> yeah much better I've I've, I don't know. I've I've managed to stay to stay out of prison <laughs> yeah.
2: well, it's, it's canada so
1: <laughs> yeah you do anything in canada you can get arrested now yeah, exactly. These are these are the, the, the days when you were free. Yeah, these are back in the days where you could stab someone with a fork. No one would <laughs> you could stab you, you just go on a silverware onslaught. No one would no <laughs> one would even notice.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: You could stab someone
3: yeah.
2: wearing a mask.
1: That's right. That'll be the first oh, question. No, no. <laughs> you
2: know, it's funny because you 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 talked about being able to defend yourself and, and um I lived in New Zealand for a while and uh okay. And I was, I was dating a woman, a woman while I was there and we went out to, um, we went out to a bar and, um, one of the guys who worked at the bar invited us to come up to this, like, so it was a private lounge, but it was like, it was just a closed part of the bar. Like they were remodeling it or something like that. And we were hanging out there and my girlfriend had, uh, one too many drinks and was a little bit out of it. So she was like, just kind of sleeping peacefully for a minute, but there was no one around. Right. It was like, this is closed. No big deal. Well, so over time, this guy who was an American starts getting more and more heated about asking us to leave. And I'm like, my, like we're not bothering anybody. We're just here, right? So finally, the situation escalates. And so I, I wake her up and we start walking down the stairs to leave the bar. And while walking down the stairs, he makes a shitty comment about my girlfriend. And so, mm-hmm. so I, I turn around, go back up the stairs, bump my chest into him, and he just starts swinging, like like full-on sucker punching, Right. So as he as he's swinging he turns his body and I fall past him. Like I stumble past him, right? Because I'm coming up the stairs, I have momentum and he turns and as he's swinging he no- I was wearing my glasses, he knocks my glasses off my face. So okay. he got me from behind me. My glasses go flying off and I'm here in the bar going down to the ground as I'm tripping, trying to figure out what am I going to do in this situation? And I realize in slow motion that I have two choices. I can either wait for the storm to pass and not do anything, set on my glasses, or I can just go full ape shit. you know, to, <laughs> yeah. I don't have any other options because I wasn't trained in any sort of martial arts or self-defense. And that was like two not, two really not good options, you know, because we're in this bar area, there's tables, there's glassware around, you know, and Going ape shit in that environment is not a great idea. Someone, including me, could get really, really hurt and that. So, so I decided to let the let, me wet, let the storm pass, which I did. And the guy stopped and then went over and sat in the booth and put his head in his hands and was really ashamed of himself because he had had some outburst. And it was, oh. and I didn't get seriously injured or anything, just a mark on my eye. But I realized in that moment that like, wow, not having any skills in martial arts or self defense is actually really dangerous because if if I had no if if I could, if it only goes to eleven. When a five is appropriate, I'm in danger. My girlfriend's in danger, you know, and and all of that. So that was when a, that was a real awakening for me. Like like Jordan Peter says, you know you have to be a dangerous man who has it under control, not a harmless man. And that was that really landed home for me in that moment.
1: Yeah, you you mentioned something. Uh, not having the martial arts skill can be dangerous, but there's also the flip side: is training in the wrong manner for a violent altercation outside the dojo can be just as dangerous.
3: Hmm. Uh,
1: Cause there's a, like I was saying before with the behavioral delivery system and everything that surrounds violence and human nature and revenge mm-hmm. and the precursors to attack and everything. Most martial arts don't work on that. You can walk into a martial art. Like one of my drills that I've, that I've done a million times is, you just shove a friend and call him every fucking name under the sun and insult his fucking mother and slap him off the, cross, off the top of the head and spit on him.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That's not a drill you find in a fucking jiu-jitsu school. You can go to every jiu-jitsu school in the fucking world. World champions train there. They ain't doing that shit. But in every violent altercation, that's going like, to a certain extent, before there's the first punch is thrown, that's going to happen. There's going to be some kind of verbal exchange. No fucking dojo trains that. Mm-hmm. There's no one out, like it's, a, it's like, it boggles my mind. But if you look at CCTV footage, you know, a lot, I develop a lot of drills through CCTV footage, mm-hmm. people just getting outright murdered. A lot of the time, like what happened to this guy? Okay. He got stabbed and how's the guy attacking him? He's just going nuts with a knife. Okay. we'll just replicate that in training. Let's go put on, you know, some gear mm-hmm. and try it out and try not get killed. You know, a lot of my drills are like, we're developed that way too. Mm -hmm. Watching other people fail and die or a lot of other, once YouTube kind of gave us that tool, Mm -hmm. I definitely used it. Uh, So yeah, training in the wrong manner can be just as dangerous as not training Mm
3: -hmm.
1: uh, uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not training with, uh, with aliveness, like realistic energy. And you don't have to be going like full out. I don't, I recommend people don't actually go hundred percent full contact. I actually don't do hundred percent full contact anymore at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I mean, you're, that's going to, you're going to see diminishing returns there because in, you're going to get injured in training. And then if something happens in real life, not to be able to defend yourself, it doesn't really it's true. add up. So I would recommend people don't do that. Uh, but it doesn't just because you're not going full force doesn't mean you're not training effectively.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. You can you can have effective training with moderate energy for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean if you're if you're working on proper like boxing, you're working on proper striking mechanics, you don't have to punch your sparring partner full force in the fucking face. You can hit a bag full force Mm
3: -hmm.
1: if you want to develop power. But when you're working with a live partner you know, and you're not a professional, right? If you're not going to step in the boxing ring and you don't want to be a pro fighter, you don't need to go 100%, 80%. You can go 60% and keep each other's brain cells intact. You know, keep your joints from intact. Don't, you got to go to the, uh, you got to go to work. You don't need shoulder surgery, knee surgery. You know, right. think, think as if someone's listening to this and they've never trained martial arts before, first day, go in there with longevity in mind. Hmm. And be careful who you train with, just watch the class. And if there's some gorilla training with another gorilla, and you don't want to take and you don't want to take a trip to Snap City, then don't train with the gorillas. (laughs)
4: Right?
1: You don't have to train with them. There's plenty of other training partners to choose from. So yeah, (laughs) try to get those people. Because I used to be the gorilla. Like I know I'm I'm not just saying this because it's a theory. I'm saying this because. I've gotten the shit beat out of me. <laughs> so I've taken some good beatings and I've had, you know, some injuries. And yeah, if you're injured, it sucks. Can't train. You can't defend yourself as well.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So why, why, why go to the extent? If you're not going to be a professional, it doesn't make any sense. you
2: no, I actually, I hadn't thought about that. Cause you're, you're painting a picture in my mind of, of um, you can go to a, a martial arts gym to compete in martial arts. But if you want to, you know, become, you want to uh, win trophies or something like that, and there's that's completely honorable and and very good.
1: Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, that, that can only benefit you for sure.
2: But that's a different spirit than if you go to a garage gym or a backyard gym with guys who are like, you know what, we're actually going to simulate how we would behave in some sort of situation where we're having an altercation. Because as you're talking about uh, bodily delivery, I think you said, like I can go- Uh,
1: Behavioral, behavioral delivery system. Because there's a behavioral delivery system and a physical delivery system. Like boxing is a very good physical delivery system for striking, very good. Probably the best in the world. Muay Thai, if you wanna learn how to deliver a hard kick, good elbow shot, best in the world that they're, they're excellent at that, right? Jiu-jitsu, very good grapplers. Uh, Greco-Roman wrestling, very good grappling. So those are the physical delivery systems, the actual using your body to do damage against another human. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the behavioral delivery system is the understanding everything before the first punch connects. Mm -hmm. And that is the most important part. If you actually want to use your martial arts for protecting yourself, your loved ones, et cetera uh understanding human nature and violence and kind of blending them the two together because you can't you're not going to be fighting in a vacuum and you're not fighting a robot. Mm-hmm. You're 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 fighting a someone who wants to do you vicious harm. And there's a psychological aspect there. Like those kinds of people they're just missing pieces mm-hmm. that me or you still have intact, right? So you have to know how to manage those people using your words and your mind and, and your body You can't just um, like, there was a, uh, this years ago, I don't even remember the year. It was like, that's the only example I can think of right now. And it was, I believe it was in Montreal and there was a Russian martial artist and his girlfriend, or it was just the Russian martial artist. Anyway, he gets mugged by two people, a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. Right now this guy, accolades out the ass martial arts wise anyways he has it gets a knife held to his face or whatever something happens he like kicks the knife out of the guy's hand which is incredible because all the guy has to do with the knife is just slices like the movement that you have to move your foot compared to just slicing someone with a knife it's so much greater so it's amazing that he's even able to kick the knife out of the hand But the august girlfriend pulled out a gun from her purse and shot the guy.
3: So,
1: I mean, you you have to, that's what I'm talking about. You've got to be able to read your opponent on a behavioral level. Do they have a bag and you see their hands? What's their facial expression? What are the words they're using? What's their stance like? Are they looking around? Have they bladed one side of their body and pulled their shoulder back? Because they're going to cold cock you. all these different things come into play, like how many of them are there? Where are they in relation to you? What's my environment? Is there a curb behind me? Am I going to trip over it? All this different shit. And you have to take it in like immediately. Uh, So that, like, and if someone's listening and they want to practice this, just get someone in front. This is not a physical drill at all. Anyone can do this. Just get someone in front of you, close your eyes and then open them And that person is standing in some kind of stance, some kind of position. Maybe they have their hand in their pocket, their arms are crossed. Um, And so open your eyes for a split second and then close them and then describe how you saw the person. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then they can give you feedback if you're correct or not. Because I'm sitting, you you can see me on the camera. This isn't on video for everyone else, but my arms are crossed right now. You can't see my right hand. Mm -hmm. If I could have laid there underneath my arm, you would never know. And if someone uninitiated who hasn't trained in recognizing where and how a, a weapon could be concealed, I could have a, a knife. I could have a gun under here. I could have anything under here. All I got to do is pull it out and then the knife is here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so That's just a very simple demonstration of what I'm talking about. But martial arts don't train that.
3: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: you don't learn that in a school for the most part. And I was lucky to run into, uh, Richard Dimitri from Sanchito international. I don't know what he's doing now, but he, he, uh, hit guys like him, uh, Lee Morrison of urban combatives in the UK, uh, Jeff Thompson, uh, those three guys are just legends in, in, in this kind of melding the two blending together. Yeah. I would recommend them check them out.
2: So guys who are, who, who are blending together, um, traditional martial arts and combative training with preparedness for an actual street or physical confrontation where you're in in actual danger from someone who may want to actually kill you.
4: Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Very, I mean, by all means, train your boxing, train your martial arts. It's, it's important to do, but just it in in a real fight, you're probably going to do one or two things like physically, maybe three things. Uh, So, you know, it's like, 90%
3: mental,
1: Mm -hmm. 90% behavioral, understanding, the body language, precursors to attack, where the weapons can be concealed, all of that shit is 90% of it. Because the fight is going to not last. Mm -hmm. You're not going to go five five five-minute rounds. (laughs) No, I hope you're not. It's going to be just a a few moments in time. It's not going to last very long.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess this isn't... I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought we'd talk more about writing, but this is cool. I like it. I haven't really talked about martial arts in a long time. A very long time. Years. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't... Like, in this kind of way, because I've not really... Uh, it's always in my own head, or I'm just, like, talking with another guy who I've trained with, and we get it. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me to... To, to speak to someone who I've not, one, not spoken to before. And, um, two, to maybe shed some light on how to actually literally save someone's life. That's pretty cool.
2: I'm enjoying this too. And, and this sh- has shown up elsewhere in my life. In addition to in the bar, you know, I, uh, I recently bought a, a rifle and, um, oh, what'd you get? The R15 and uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah, it took a while to build and find the components, but finally got it built. A friend of mine built it for me. And I was talking to another good buddy. to have. Sorry? It's a good thing to have, yeah. A good friend to uh, have, too. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And that's what he does is he builds motorcycles and he builds rifles. So <laughs> right. sometimes at the same time. So, um, so I was talking to him about, uh, and I was talking to another friend about learning to use the rifle because it's not just enough to think that you can just pick up and, you know, whether it be a handgun or a rifle and think that you can pick up a thing and make a thing go bang and yeah. in case you have to train with it. And so I was like, Oh, I'm going to go to the range. And my friend was mm-hmm. Now, don't go to the range. I said, why not? I said, well, you have to go out to the desert somewhere and you actually have to train with the rifle somewhere out in nature, not in some, you know, you have to be able to, for example, with the, with the handgun, you know, you put it in your waistband and pull it out and practice, practice drawing yeah. and shooting something, you know, so that you can actually, cause they won't let you do that at the range. Right. So they want you to just aim and fire at the target. Totally fine.
1: Yeah. That's a problem.
4: For yeah. sure.
2: In the same way, in the same way with, with martial arts or combatives, as you're saying, it's not just enough to train in the um, in the safe, but I don't mean that in a bad way. In the safe environment of a dojo, I mean, unless you want to achieve in in some sort of tournaments, which is a different set of skills. If you actually want to be capable of defending yourself, you have to train in as close to a real world environment as you can, so yeah. that you respond in a real world situation outside of uh, the fluorescent lights or the mats or something like what are you going to do when you got to do a takedown onto the concrete you know than when you're used to sure. doing it on the mats right so this is really interesting to me because these are questions that i've just dimly begun to consider
1: yeah it, and for me it was always something i considered because i knew i was never going to be like a tournament fighter
3: mm-hmm.
1: a professional fighter so i said to myself well what can i actually marshally get good at like i know i'm never going to be Like my footwork isn't bad, really. For like a one-legged dude, I move pretty good. Like I'm not, (laughs) I move pretty good. I really do. I'm I'm not. I can say without ego that I can, you know, use my feet uh, quite well. But I'm not Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. I'm not Tyson. Right? Like Tyson's footwork is insane. Like I'm never gonna. A lot of people aren't gonna have that. But I am certainly never gonna have that. Mm -hmm. So what I needed to do was just swallow that, like. And and understand where my strengths would be and work on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I kind of went into the martial arts already wanting to do that. Already understanding, especially from growing up, kind of how the events would unfold. Um, So yeah, I kind of started from that place before I learned any jab, cross, shovel, hook, combo. Mm -hmm. I always, in my head, I was already, uh, I was already there, so to speak. And I just had to learn the, the physical delivery systems. And, you know, I learned obviously more about the behavioral and, uh, concealed weapons and all that other stuff too. But, uh, I was all, like I said, I was, I was already, as I was beginning to learn the physical side, I immediately would meld the behavioral side without even being told to do it. It was just something I was interested in say more
2: about the behavioral side because I, I can picture in my mind what that with that um, what that means but let's unpack it a little bit and say like what's what does a behavioral delivery system kind of look like because I, I get that the, there's going to be a whole series of stages leading up to in most cases into a confrontation where something's happened and then it escalates and it escalates the violence outside of some random street action or something like that so like what what sort yeah. of th- and practice and in, in, in that environment for behaviorally
1: or uh, yeah okay um i'll do my best like i'm not an instructor and i don't like talking from a position of authority so that's a caveat okay. i'm just gonna say right now i'm not an instructor anymore i did used to instruct but uh i'm not very i'm not a very good leader or instructor uh because most people don't want to actually train they want to put the effort in and i think that um uh, that weighed on me but anyways. So caveat was saying I am not an expert. I'm not a black belt. I'm not a world champion. I'm not uh, certified in anything. And and I this is my unlicensed, unprofessional opinion. Mm-hmm. And and to unpack the uh, behavioral side of violence, it would. I'm trying to. I'm going to try and give you a nutshell version or like use examples because it would take. It would probably take me because uh, I'm not well-spoken in this area because I don't practice being well-spoken in it. It would take me a very long time to do that compared to Richard Dimitri or Lear Morrison or Jeff Thompson, Mm -hmm. any of those, uh, uh, any of those men. But the behavioral system, the easiest way I would state it is anything that happens before the physical anything. Mm -hmm. Let's say uh, a woman is being stalked for two weeks, doesn't know it. The fight started two weeks ago when you didn't know you were being stalked because you took the same route to work every day, mm. took the same route to work. This guy stalked you for two weeks. Uh, now he's approached you in the, in the parking garage underneath your work because you're, you work at a law firm and he knows you work late Tuesday evenings. And now he's there. That is never trained in a martial art dojo
3: mm-hmm.
1: that has never talked about, never thought about, uh, you're in a bar. With your buddies and a guy thinks you're looking at him and he goes hey man what the fuck are you looking at and you go i'm looking at a fucking ugly piece of shit what are you gonna do about it well you just asked for a fight yes <laughs> right but if he says <laughs> what the fuck you're looking at and you're like oh i'm sorry man i just spaced out uh I got a lot on my mind right now. Credit cards maxed out, girlfriend left me. I just lost my fucking job. And so you're having a drink, trying to chill out. Mm-hmm. He's gonna be like, What? Credit cards maxed out? What like he's not gonna do that. Mm-hmm. You know, he he might actually talk to you at that point. Mm-hmm. He might actually come like, oh man, I'm your wife left. You. That's shit. Like you might actually become friends for that moment in time, that hour, or whatever you're there, and then like, okay, fuck this guy, I'm out of here. But uh that are t- those are two examples of understanding the behavioral delivery system and how humans operate outside of the physical uh, side of violence. Yeah, like the stalker, the angry drunk, uh, you know, the the child who gets beat at home. Like, there's a lot of behavioral shit going on there. I don't know how to help those. I don't know how to help those kinds of people. I just, um, just an example. Uh, you're you're walking down the street. You see three guys coming towards you on the opposite side of the street. They cross the street, fights on. Like you know already. Fights. That's not normal human behavior. You get approached by a guy in the street saying, Hey man, you got any change? You're like, Sorry man, I don't got any change. Normal human behavior say, Okay, that's no problem. See ya. If he keeps encroaching you, getting more aggressive, that is not normal human behavior. Something is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in an elevator and you stops on the floor and someone gets in, you feel uncomfortable and then walk out. That is the behavioral delivery system using your intuition. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are all kind of examples of of that side of violence. And you have to remember if you do violence to someone, you have to worry about vengeance, revenge.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, The fight doesn't end once the fight's over, especially if you're arrested. Mm -hmm. And you have to go to the court system. So there's all these different things that you have to take into account before you perform the violence. And you have to, you can't take it into account as it's, as the, as the situation's unfolding, you have to already have software. You have to have threat recognition software in your, in your brain already blueprinted in there from drilling, from thinking about it, from writing it down, from like doing anything that you can to prepare ahead of time. because Experience is something you need shortly after you get it. Right. You, you you just I don't know, that's not my quote. I don't know who said it, but I remember hearing it. And it's a great quote and it's true. It, 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 but you have to, you know, have some kind of simulated, some kind of simulation. You know, uh you don't throw pilots in a plane, you throw them on a flight simulator first. You know, you don't, here's a plane, let's go for your first flight. Oh, you crashed and burned, let's try again. No, that's not gonna happen. Uh, you, you're a flight simulator first, right? And, and everything, everything is simulated, um, to a certain extent, if, or you should simulate everything to an extent, if you want to be successful in whatever area you're training, whether it's being an astronaut, being a pilot, being a fighter, training in combatives. Uh, you know, you, if you're learning how to cook, you probably figure out how to make a grilled cheese before a four course roast beef dinner. Right. <laughs> There's, you have to start uh, at the beginning and really break it down and notice your own behavior too. It's not just about noticing and paying attention to your opponent's behavior. You have to uh, realize what you're doing, what you're saying, what your daily patterns are. Where would I most likely be attacked? Think about that. Would I most likely be attacked in my home because I live in an abusive household? Or do I live alone? Am I a bachelor like Jeff and he's got no one around, you know? Um, so the, the place for me, I would most like, I would less, I would be less likely to be attacked at home in your house. Generally you are pretty safe for the most part. If you're not in an abusive household, you're pretty safe at home, right? I think most people would agree there, but what a great place for someone to attack you because they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Right? Awesome. What a great place to be attacked is at the workplace. Who'd ever think you're gonna be attacked at your workplace? If you're you know you're friendly with your colleagues and I don't know, one day you're working late, like I uh, just going back to another example with regarding the workplace. And uh let's say some chick's working late in the office and there's a guy there and they've been friendly for the past two, three weeks, months, year, whatever, but he's had his eye on her and he's a fucking freak. Now they're in the office alone at 8 p.m. working on a project together. Bam! There's the attack. happening. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand um, what what you're doing and how it may affect your safety. Mm-hmm. If if you're doing stupid things with stupid people going to stupid places, then you're going to get stupid prizes from that. A stupid game. I think, Yeah, I think everyone can agree there. Uh, and I also like to throw this out there that um, to an extent, the victim is at fault if you're not recognizing that like the, the, a child isn't at fault. Someone who is um, doesn't have the mental wherewithal is not at fault, right But if you are a if you are an adult with all of your mental faculties, chances are you're at fault in some way or another from what happened from what happened to you because you didn't recognize what you were doing you didn't take it upon yourself perhaps to you know even consider the possibility of being involved in a dangerous situation so you didn't train to begin with you had no training at all didn't even think about it you had the it'll never happen to me attitude
3: mm-hmm.
1: and sexual assault centers and cemeteries and roadside ditches are filled with those kinds of people.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, take some, uh, personal agency and, uh, understand that. Yeah, there you, you are at fault because you are in control of your own preparedness. Mm-hmm. If you again are a grown adult with all the me- mental faculties, if you're a child, I'm not saying that mm-hmm. if you are very elderly, uh, if you, if someone is autistic or severely disabled and they can't do what I'm talking about, obviously there's going to be, there's, there's pieces, pieces of shit that prey on those kinds of people all the time. And, um, and unfortunately that is one of the, uh, ugly components of the world. But if you can do something about it, do something about it. Mm-hmm.
2: It's really, it's really challenging to hear some of those things, but they have such a ring of truth to them. And, and I think people need to hear them. And, you know, like, for example, I was talking about that, that situation that happened in the bar and and where I, you know, my glasses fell off and I can see the way that, um, as I think back through the moments, you know, my, um, my behavioral delivery system, wasn't as good as it could have been. I sort of evaluated the guy as a coward and he kind of was, you know what I mean? to kind of sucker punch me and stuff like that. So I think back to that, but as, as I was there, you know, it going through the moment, I recognized that this is my fault. This is, this is my fault. He swung at me. is my fault for not being able to defend myself and i'm act- actually feel quite lucky that it didn't go further than it would have and if i felt the guy had been like some sort of actual threat i probably wouldn't have even gotten to that point but i thought i could get him to back off and he didn't he didn't like that and, and took the coward's way to try and sucker punch me so right. though, i was aware that you know it wasn't his fault it was my fault i should have well, been way, well it,
1: it is his fault as well oh yeah it's not not his fault right yeah but, and, I, and, and it's never not not the criminal's fault. Oh, they're a criminal they're, yeah, for or sure. whatever, right? They're a douchebag, criminal, whatever they are. It is their fault. At least 50% of it is their fault or more. But you have to take into account, it could be 50% your fault too. Yeah, of course, 100%. Yeah. 100%. I, I think this whole, the soft, you know, the soft, the soft yoke of modernity says that, no, never blame the victim. Like in some cases, yeah, never blame them. It's a child. Never blame the child. Never the child's fault, right? I can't blame a six-year-old from getting abused by their aunt or something like that. But me, for instance, I blame myself for every single situation I've been in. Mm-hmm. All of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, th- I think that's an important you know, personal responsibility. Yeah. Putting that on someone in this world is almost taboo, but fuck it, I'm going to put it on them. <laughs>
2: yeah, ownership, as Jocko Willink calls it, it's like it may not be, and maybe a better word than fault is responsibility. You know, there's a, there's there there's a, what is my responsibility in this moment? And I'm responsible for the fact that I have very limited to no options for how to defend myself. I'm, I'm yeah. and I'll just use the word incompetent in my own self defense. I was incompetent in the in the interaction leading up to that, and had I been competent in those the situation could have been very different i mean maybe it would never have happened at all but at the same time still kind of grateful for it because it was an important lesson but i think people need to hear that that it's like you need to recognize that that there are scenarios where violence is a real possibility where the world the word incompetence in terms of like not a judgment like you're a fucking idiot kind of way but like i am not competent in those situations and given how dangerous the world at least feels like it's becoming or maybe always has been this is an area where it's very necessary to become competence for its own sake. But also, as we were talking about earlier, it benefits our creativity. It benefits so many other areas of our lives. It's not just this thing that's separate that you need to be proficient in, that, that it just it's its own thing. It feeds into everything else as well, which is why you and I are here
1: talking in the first place. Exactly. I, the last thing I think about when I go into my gym to train is like, who, whose skull am I going to crush today? I just, I don't, I don't think like that. I just, I just want to move and do the work and get better mm-hmm. because that's going to make me a better man. And when I go, when I step out my door, I don't wear socks and sandals because I know I might have to dust somebody that day. <laughs> I might, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> but, but I don't, I don't actively go around thinking about um, you know, I'm in the grocery store, like, like, oh, that, that guy is over there is looking at me weird. You know, I don't do any of that crap. I just mind my business and go home. But <laughs> you know, that guy's in, uh, he's in the silverware section. Uh, <laughs> I don't like the way he's holding that kitchen knife. <laughs> I saw, actually, I saw a guy. What looking <laughs> <at> you looking <laughs> at? <laughs> I saw a guy yesterday. I was grocery shopping, on to the parking lot. This fucking dude's got a full-on chest rig and a big like Bowie knife on the side of his. He's like fucking right on. I like that guy.
4: Right.
1: <laughs> but you know, I probably was the only person who would have noticed that. Mm-hmm. And that's going back to noticing people.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like yeah, I notice everything about people: where mm-hmm. they stand, the way they walk, the body language, the way they sort through the zucchinis. <laughs> <laughs> everything, man. Yeah. Like a fricking hawk, but I don't, it's it's so, it's so passive now because I've been doing it forever that it doesn't even register with me that I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. I don't purposely, it's purposely do it. It's just, it's an autopilot thing. Yeah. 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 Don't go. If you're training in martial arts, go into your martial arts class because you want to train the martial arts because the, the chances of, someone actually getting involved in a violent altercation are quite slim if they do not lead a violent lifestyle dangerous lifestyle and their home life is good mm-hmm. if they mind their business then the chances of them getting in a life or death situation are low so go because you like to train the martial arts mm-hmm. don't ignore the fact that you might have to use it but go because you like the camaraderie. You like the, you like the sweat. You like to train. You like to learn a useful skill and use your body and your brain and kind of meld with you. Now that's why I like to train. That's what I do when I go into the gym. Uh, first and foremost is, is, is look forward to being able to do those things.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's, it sounds like you're talking about something that's like a level above that, also, which is which is even more cool, which is why I'm so why I'm so interested in this subject so broadly, is that you can go to a martial arts gym for all the great benefits of training martial arts, and you can also enhance that with situational readiness training for the real world and you can discover things about yourself as a man that you might never have otherwise known like this is interesting to me because this was not this was not my upbringing my experience I've done a bunch of other things but when it comes to to fighting and 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 self defense this is not my area of expertise but I find myself thinking about it for all the reasons that I mentioned and so as you're laying this out for me you know around behavioral delivery and 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 uh, being prepared like as when you crossed your arm and you you were obscuring your hand, like there could be a knife there. It's like oh, I'd never even thought about that. But like you, I also watch people, and so it's it's got me thinking in all these new directions of things like, oh, okay, this whole new area of my brain is coming online now. What can I do to begin exploring that about myself? Which is a really cool feeling.
1: And going going back to the writing aspect, that the, a huge re- reason why I write is to explore myself. Mm, okay. So these the, the two things kind of work quite well together, the physical and then, I don't know, the literary part of me are both ways to explore what's going on uh, in my brain.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: When, did um, you right? when did you start writing? I don't know. Uh, maybe when I was 33, mm-hmm. five years ago, maybe. Yeah, that might have been. I don't know. <laughs> not 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 long ago. Really. I didn't uh-huh. write as a kid. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: Well, you write, I mean, when when did you write Rust and Nails? Yeah, when did I
1: write that nail book? Uh I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know when I wrote it. Maybe it was like five years ago. Yeah, I don't know, four years ago, something yeah.
2: like that. When I Amazon said 2017 is what I think maybe what that
4: said.
1: Oh, okay. Well there you go. So all right. All right. Four years ago. Wow. Shit. Okay. What? An antique that thing. Damn.
3: That's
1: <laughs> 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 um that yeah, that book was uh I don't I don't even know why I wrote it. I just had some stuff in my head and I started like I started writing after some short stories and whatnot and a, a novel kind of before rust and nail came out. I just wanted to write to see if I could do it. Mm-hmm. And it was HP uh, Lovecraft that kind of turned me onto it. Uh, I read his complete works and I said to myself, man, this guy's writing really incredible. I'm going to see if I can do it. And so I started writing short horror stories and never published them or anything, just wrote them.
3: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and then all of a sudden uh, I started, in my head, I had all these different philosophies and like, well, maybe I'll try writing a nonfiction book and put it out there. That was rust and nail.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. That reads like someone who's been writing for a really long time, because there's a lot of writing in that book that um, it's very passionate. It's very strong. um, It's very, it's very vivid. And I can, I can pick up the Lovecraftian kind of themes in there. Like it, it definitely has the feeling of walking through, walking through a dark forest, you know, at night and constantly being aware of the threats around and some sort of stone tower. And that has that kind yeah. of lightning
1: and thunder. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I, I kind of wanted, I didn't like self, I don't like self-help books. Sure. The the, the way they're written is I, I just fucking can't, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like your traditional self-help book, like throw it in the fire, get the fuck out of here. Right. Uh, so I wanted to kind of have this dark imagery, but have, the uh, kind of gel it with a no surrender mindset uh-huh. And that's what I kind of that's what I kind of did with Rust and nail, Iron and Salt, and Dust and Ruin. Those three books have. And there's also you know my opinions on martial training in there and physical training. But a lot of it is about fear and adversity and just uh, walking through the fire because um, I've failed a lot in my life. I failed it pretty much fuck like everything almost <laughs> you're doing good <laughs> in the conversation so far sorry you're doing good in this conversation so far yeah i know I, i'm a great conversationalist <laughs> yeah but i not failed at like almost everything i've tried some things i haven't some things i've been you know some things have worked out but there's been a lot of shit that i tried that fucking failed but i and i think if i just stopped and i didn't keep walking through the fire uh well rust and nail have came out and mm-hmm. I would have stopped training along. I wouldn't even have started training because I would have been like, Oh, I can't be Bruce Lee. So I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> no, but I, you know, I can be Jeff Liberon. I don't have to be Bruce Lee.
3: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: So uh, yeah, there's a lot, a lot to unpack there, but uh, um, quitting is always an option. Sometimes it's a good option, but most of the time it probably is.
2: I, I agree. I mean, the best advice that I've ever gotten about quitting is, you know, when you, something has actually ceased to be useful and you're actually bored by it. Like if you're pursuing a path and suddenly this thing that you're very passionate about becomes boring and it doesn't light you up anymore. If you can be really honest with yourself about that, like, no, this is just boring. Like you just served its purpose. But anytime short of that, prior to the completion of the goal, you know, that's the kind of quitting that you don't want to do.
1: Right. Like when I was writing onwards, I wanted to quit about like 3.6 billion times. Yeah, I just wanted. I just wanted to quit that. but I fucking hated it. The first, the first draft was thirty five thousand words, which is more of an outline, and the second draft was like a hundred and forty thousand or something. Like, or yeah, just, and then the editing it down into what became like ninety thousand words at the very end of it. I just wanted. I wanted to quit every day, Mm -hmm. and not because, but I didn't want to quit because I. It was boring, like you said. I wanted to quit because it was really difficult, mm-hmm. and that is not a reason to quit. That's a reason to keep going.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah. And, but when it and when it came out, I was just like, "Fuck this book," because <laughs> now I have to promote it. So, but but it, it, that's different because I don't have to write it anymore. It's done. The writing's done. Right. Um, so. Yeah, the uh, the the next book I come out with will be a uh, a poetry, all poetry. So I don't know when that's going to be, but hopefully, either before the end of this year or very early next year.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to your original three books, and I, I did I did want to say it's interesting that you mentioned self help because I've read self help books. And what's in some of them can be very helpful in a particular kind of way, but they communicate in this very soft, very gentle, very feminine kind of way. And there are some that are very much benefited by that. But then there's this way that, um, and I've been reading about this separately in, in another book. There's this other, and that's a very feminine form of healing, which works, right? And there's a lot of that in the world today. Like, let's sit around to talk about our feelings until something comes up for us to process and we'll deal with it. It's very effective for a lot of people. But on the other side, there's what's called a, a masculine form of healing, which is more interventionist, which is like, hey, you're fat, sort your shit out. Or, hey, you're kind of being an asshole right now. Or, hey, or it's like spoken very directly and very clearly with a, a very sharp sword. And I think men, uh, and potentially some women too, in fact, I know some women too, need to be spoken to in that very direct way about sort your shit out, however it shows up. And that's really difficult to do well, because, because if you're not really clear about who inside yourself is wielding that sword, so to speak, it can become abusive or it can it can become Um, uncalibrated or rageful versus something that's trying to be for lack of a better word, like loving or loving is the only word that I can really think of. And that's what comes across in, in rust and Nail is maybe not loving in the way that we're used to thinking about it, but it's like, there's something very, very encouraging and very powerful about the book that speaks to something very primal. And, and that's not easy. That's not easy to do. And so I'm reading this book. I'm like, oh, I kind of get, get what you're doing in this. And it's like, it's hard to strike that note in, su- in such a long form piece of content that can speak to man, uh, men rising to a sense of challenge. Um, and so I just wanted to honor that because it's, again, it's not easy to do.
1: Thanks, Will. You're, you're kind of giving me the confidence to go read that book again.
2: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't read it in a very long time i'm I'm actually curious to see what's inside those pages because i I kind of forget you know? mm-hmm. but maybe I should go look at it. it's It's been a pretty impactful book for I didn't think it was going to impact so many people, but it did. like I said, I'm very happy that it has. even if I don't like my own work a lot if a lot of people can benefit from it, then that's that's the uh, second biggest reason why I write to make to cause someone to Affect positive change in their life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: And then what were the second two, because I haven't gotten to books two and three of that series Were those sort of a continuation of book one.
1: That's right. Yeah. It's the same idea, same, same layout, uh, kind of just short pieces uh, all the way through same, same length. Mm -hmm. Uh, The pictures are in there too. I don't know if you got the hard copy or the Kindle, there's pictures as well yeah there are pictures of you fighting a masked man in the I think yeah, it's, yeah, kind of it's kind of like the the character in the book versus the demons in itself, you know, it's kind of like that. Uh, but yeah, all the all the books have the the pictures and the um the short, kind of short and digestible uh, articles in there that you can just read in a few minutes and reread and reread if you want to. Mm-hmm. that was my idea with the books. People was continue to go over it. If they liked it
3: mm-hmm. uh
1: rather than have like a cohesive outline throughout the book mm-hmm. it was just these little pieces have their own uh their own takeaways they're all connected but you can kind of read one and then you can read the one on page 80 and then go back to page 20 like it doesn't matter oh you can jump around in the book you don't have to read it linearly Yeah, you don't have to read it linearly at all. Yeah, you don't have to do that with any of them. Oh, okay. Okay, that's really cool. Any, I mean, the last one
2: first, the first one last, don't matter. See, that makes me like it even more because I wish I, it's difficult to do that with a Kindle, like open to a random page versus a print book. But that means that's the sort of book that I might like to put, put on like a coffee table or something like that. Just flip it open and you can read an essay and be invited into this, it's really an aesthetic world it's this aesthetic world that you've created that really that comes across
1: very clearly in the writing yeah i, I believe very strongly in aesthetics mm-hmm. like i i got my house right now i just want to paint the whole thing a dark matte grave. <laughs> you know having a having a certain aesthetic in your with your work is one it kind of conveys your message and number two it actually like if you sit in a room that is displayed in a certain way that inspires you to create you're going to create better work oh i agree right now my office is like it sucks like i got this old desk carpet that needs to be replaced and this the walls are white
3: Mm -hmm. there's
1: nothing on the wall except uh, my monitor
3: Mm
1: you know it's it's very uninspiring workspace but luckily it doesn't really affect me too much i can still work and write and do things but Mm -hmm. i know that if this space was decked out in a certain way it would inspire me even more it'd be like stepping into a different dimension Mm -hmm.
2: i think part of living a creative life is to 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 curate your space is to bring out your best creativity
1: yeah that's only going to be beneficial so i'm i am going to do that i just i just don't know when
3: mm
2: -hmm. and then what is a what is onwards about so you have these three books in your early series which are sort of um which are sort of exhortations to to live a, a courageous and and uh i would say brutal barbarian you know appropriately barbarian life i'm not sure the right words but i think you get what i mean and then after, I get, yeah and then after that comes did onwards come after that your fiction book
3: yeah
1: onwards <laughs> funny story with onwards is that's actually the first book i ever wrote oh oh wow yeah but I didn't write it the way it should be written. I didn't have a grasp of language back then, as it. So I went back to that kind of story, which changed it around a bit, and then wrote that story the way it should have been written in the first place. And that's what Onwards is.
3: Hmm.
1: Onwards is a post-apocalyptic novel about a uh, about a man who loses his wife. She she is uh, brutally murdered by this these humanoid. Cannibals known as skins, and they—I call them skins because they tear the flesh from the victim and to make it as armor, wear it. And uh, anyway, she is she's murdered by the skins, and he comes home to find her her body. And the book starts out with
4: <clears throat>
1: uh, she's already dead, and he's discovered her body, and he has to bury her and and move on. And it's uh, it's a book of it's a book about vengeance. He he becomes a skin hunter. Uh, and he's just, his, it kind of, what happens in the beginning is his wife is dead. And three years later, it takes place. And he's, uh, there's letters in the book that he writes to his deceased wife. And he's displaying or writing in the first letter how he's become a skin killer these past three years. And all these skins he's taken out and killed them, all, killed as many as he can uh, for vengeance of his wife. But he doesn't, he doesn't know really who killed his wife hmm. and you kind of go through the book and it's it it's a venge it's a vengeance story for the character john rudd but it's also a vengeance story for the enemies in the book the villains and how the two are seen see each other as evil how how um how there's not really a, a good or evil. There's just men performing their own agenda that is going to benefit them. And so John, you kind of follow John Rudd through his guilt and grief of not being able to uh, protect his wife, not be there when the violence struck. And so he's just going through grief and he's um, you know, obviously been suicidal in the past. And, uh, cause you have to remember what kind of world we're living in here. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's all he really, that's the only connection he had to the old world, like, to, to that reality, what the way things used to be. So he lives in this war torn apocalyptic world, uh, where there's just marauders and bandits roving about. And the only thing he had that he really loved was her. And so now is she's gone and he's you know become something else entirely Mm -hmm. and he's trying to um both honor her death by killing these skins by collecting heads you know so to speak but at the same time he's trying to get away from that and seek her forgiveness for not because he wants to move on Mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of uh it's both a uh it's both Takes place in, in in an apocalyptic environment, but it's more a story of about grief and loss and revenge and um, not sus- not succumbing to what you loathe the most. <clears throat> it's quite a violent book, very violent, very. The imagery is very dark. Uh, so if you enjoy the first three books and that I wrote and you like that imagery, there's what I what I did was take all that philosophy and put it into a story. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I I I, I quite I think I might even read the novel. (laughs) I haven't I haven't read it since I put it out, but uh, because I was just tired of reading it with all the editing and whatnot. But now that I have, you know, the copy on my shelf, I might give it a once over. But uh, yeah, it it is it is a project that I'm I'm quite proud to be finished with. I don't know. I have another idea for a novel and my a second one. I don't know if I'll get to write in it for a while. I don't know if anything will come of it, but the poetry is going to be first. Mm-hmm.
2: You said that Onward was your first book,
1: yeah, Onwards was like my when I first tried to write, I had the story in my head, like a similar story, and I wrote it out. Um, but i it was it wasn't called onwards. It had a different title.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: so i I just recycled that story. And, and, and made it into what I wanted it to be in the first place.
2: Because
1: hmm. I have the skill to do that now.
2: Are you happy with the finished product? Sounds like you are.
1: Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the finished product for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big job, dude. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted to just shoot my computer so many times.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what was the hardest thing about it?
1: Just... The well, besides the editing, uh, the editing was, yeah, holy shit. It's kind of like what I want to smash myself in the face with a brick or do some more editing. I don't know, that brick's looking pretty good. Yeah, it was getting to that point. The editing was really brutal, man. Just trying to figure out, um, take just like grammatical stuff, like it wasn't even writing, the writing wasn't hard to do it's for me it's always the editing that just takes and the rewriting that just takes the steam right out of it i -hmm. just got no steam left after doing that for a certain amount of time and i had also um ended a long-term relationship of six years um as i was finishing that book as i was writing that book i knew the relationship was coming to an end and so writing the parts writing the letters in the book it was kind of like i was channeling that to the the woman i had split with and so those were people people will message me and say they really like the letters Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and i i said they're like well it's almost as if you had lived that before and i was living it at the time
3: Mm -hmm.
1: that was a big that really actually helped the book going through that it wouldn't be as uh i don't think the book would be as human if i if i hadn't gone through that so that was like with regards to the writing that was the most difficult part um but the the editing man i need yeah i just can't stand it i Mm -hmm. just hate yeah but that's part of any project the editing i just i wanted. I'm going to go and cry asleep and you find someone, find someone to finish this. And when it's, uh, when it's done, you wake me up. Right.
2: Well, that's a, I think everyone in any sort of long-term creative project will uh, project will encounter a stage of the work where it doesn't work for them. Like maybe it's, maybe in terms of writing a book for some people it would be like the getting up and the writing every day even when you don't feel like it or you don't feel inspired grinding through that. Or for you it's the editing or maybe it's the promotion. But I think that's these long like it's one thing to put out a tweet or an Instagram post or a YouTube video even, you know, because these are this is content that um, can be churned out fairly quickly these days. But yeah. to, to write but to write a book or, or make a film or to do a series or something like that, like to to be to have it be something that you give significant portions of your life to. It makes yeah. sense why people don't finish it, why they fall off along the journey, why they why they give up, why they quit, because they encounter something that's just, this is harder than anything I've ever done before. And, uh, and yeah.
1: I'm on my own kind of. Yeah, and you know all about that right now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the novel is an interesting uh adventure for sure. I I think about all the trials I went through writing it. That's why I don't know if I'll ever write another one. Okay. But I might. I <laughs> might. Yeah. You never know. He's got i I I'll definitely write it. I'll definitely release another book. But whether it's gonna be a novel or not, uh no. Like I said, the poetry is gonna be the next book for sure. I wanna get uh wanna get all those done.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I'm still writing. I don't know when that's going to be complete, mm-hmm. um, so I won't. I won't be writing anything uh, fiction-wise for the rest of the year.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about your poetry now, because it's because that's another thing. So we're, I guess, we've entered into this aesthetic universe you've created, and I think one of the things that I haven't mentioned is there's also your photography. So we've talked about we've talked. Oh, about
1: I didn't ph- even think about photography. I just take was like point and shoot
2: right but i mean like you again you 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 um expand your aesthetic and creative universe through your photography on your instagram so your photography you have your um you have your collection of short pieces your first in your first three books you have um you have your novel you have martial arts which is a creative discipline as you mentioned and now we're getting into poetry i mean this is this is pretty cool because you don't find a lot of guys who can as i mentioned earlier write and fight maybe they can write novels but can write poetry and fight, and write novels and take photos. Like this is that's <laughs> really, uh, that I admire very much.
1: Yeah, I'm de- I'm definitely coming to. You know, if someone says describe yourself in one word, I will say artist. Now, there you go. Before I had no idea. My like, asshole. I'm not sure. I don't know what you want me to say. Is this a, <laughs> is this a trap? I'll just say asshole, and then I've taken the bait away. You know? Can I have two? Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, the, uh, sorry, what, fuck? what were you talking about?
2: <laughs> Talk about artistry and, and the, and the, the aesthetic universe that expresses itself through,
1: Ah, uh, yeah, movies, et cetera. And now poetry. As a poetry kind of came about because I could no longer write like rust and nail, dust and ruin, iron and salt, those first three books. I can no longer write that kind of stuff. I just can't do it
3: mm-hmm.
1: as, uh, I'm just not interested. Just If I try to start doing that, I'm like, oh, I just feel like I'm regurgitating everything I've done. Mm-hmm. So no one wants to eat puke. So I'll just throw those away. Right. Well, I mean, they're done for. <laughs> like, I'm not going to I'm not going to feed somebody any regurgitated material. I don't want to do that. And it's not good for me creatively. Right. So I said, so I'm just done the novel now. And I I want to write another one of those because <clears throat> I don't know. It's, I just finished one. So I'm not ready.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I figured oh maybe I'll try some poetry, but I, I actually don't read poetry, mm-hmm. uh, because I, it, well, it, it depends on who it is. I don't, you know, digest Shakespeare. I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't grab me. Or, uh, I do like some of HP Lovecraft's poetry mm-hmm. that, that kind of, he really grabbed me with just the way he used language. Mm-hmm. that guy and his doesn't have a ton of poems because you know there's a fair number of them and i read them quite often over and over there's one called nightmare lake and it's one of my favorite poems i've ever read it's, holy shit is it good Not this great. is so this is so dark this is great uh but i, I got into uh Bukowski, charles Bukowski. oh wow okay he's great and he when i started reading his Poetry. A lot of people wouldn't call it poetry because it doesn't rhyme. No, 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 no. you know, it's there. I, I, I'm all about now. I'm all about take the take the word rhyme out of poetry. Like I don't want it in there. Um, I've written some poems that uh, that I that uh, do rhyme that are kind of like your standard tru- structure. But when I got into Bukowski, uh, he kind of sparked this interest to in me. I'm like, maybe I can like write. You know, some people might not call it poetry, but fuck those people. I'm going to try anyway. And what you're reading on Instagram is what came out of that. It's great. I just started started writing as it was almost in a way how I would, how it looks on the paper allows me to let it flow. I don't really have to, um, I don't really have to try too hard sometimes, you know, I have to fix them up and like go through them and edit, you know, edit them a bit, Mm -hmm. add to them or take away. But it's more of a, to break away from the traditional sentence structure.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, comma's got to go here, period goes here, got to capitalize this. To break away from that and have more of a free form of writing has really been good for me. Mm. Uh, just to abandon all that structure garbage and just write write down what I want to write down without kind of worrying about that um is quite liberating in a way because i'm you know i'm not thinking about where all the punctuation goes i can figure that out later but when i'm writing like a novel or a book like the first three you have to put the punctuation in as you write mm-hmm. you have to stick to you know your, your like character development or your thought process or but with poetry you can kind of break it's all it can be all broken up kind of
3: mm-hmm. uh
1: and i i like that a lot uh mm-hmm. And I, you know, I like it so much that, you know, I'm doing the book now. So, um, I write a lot about, uh, there's a lot, there's lots on Instagram that I probably won't publish. I do <laughs> want to save some stuff just for the book. Um, but the stuff that I've written, you know, about women in heartache mm-hmm. will be in there. Uh, uh, ap- you know, going through bouts of severe apathy and, um, feeling lost. And trying to make it through, mm-hmm. uh, will be in there. there Will be stuff about you know physical training and violence and just um, becoming a better man. Uh, it'll <clears throat> it'll all be in there. But um, you know there's some misanthropic stuff for sure. You know I'm not a lot of the, a lot of the time I'm not the biggest fan of humanity. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of ugliness there, but I also write about the godliness too. You know, the, the good things, the beauty that comes with being human as well. So it's it's basically like a giant contradiction <laughs> in a way. I think we all contradict ourselves, but at least I know I contradict myself. So I figure if I know I do it, it's better than someone doing it and they don't even understand that, or recognize that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, one Monday we're going to feel different than Wednesday. It's just, it's just part of being human. So, um, I'm really looking forward to releasing the book to getting more people, um, on my poetry because it might be something I do for a while. Like if it, if it goes well and it keeps, and I'm still enjoying it, that's the main thing. You know, I still enjoy it. Then book two, book three, maybe, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Um, I, I, I do have a website now just launched yesterday, hmm. uh, muchmoremayhem.com. And I've got my poems on there and you can just go and read them. It's all, it's all free. If you like it, you can buy me a bourbon or whatever, but it's all for anyone listening. If they want to go on there, muchmoremayhem.com, muchmoremayhem on Instagram. You can find all the poems there. But on Instagram, there'll be more poems on the website than on Instagram, you know? So, because sometimes they're too long hmm. for the, uh, for the post uh the the character allotment on instagram is only 2200 characters so if it's longer than that it won't let me post it so um yeah the the i don't know i just i i like i like the the free-flowing form of poetry right now and, and it accesses and accessing a different part of my brain and trying to get i guess trying to kind of squash my message into a shorter amount of words Kind of make more word more impactful, each word more impactful, um, and bring with it that that darker imagery. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I feel like I'm rambling now. Not at all. And there's a uh, Jack Donovan came out with this stay solar idea, mm-hmm. and I don't really resonate with it. Like I don't think his message is bad. He's helping men become better men, and that's good. It's a good thing. And I like his, I'm a big fan of his first two books, The Way of Men and Becoming a Barbarian.
3: Yeah. It,
1: <clears throat> but not everyone resonates with it, it seems as though everyone's getting on the stay solar bandwagon. I've 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 seen a lot more people talking about quote unquote the solar wheel mm-hmm. after he came out with this idea, right? Because yeah. a lot of his you know, people that follow him are going to start talking about his ideas because he has good ideas, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But yeah, I just can't get on board with it. I just didn't like it. Um, as a not that like I said, not that the message was bad. It just didn't resonate with me. Mm-hmm. For so I like to take more of a the guy who likes the storms and the rain and the dark and the wind and the cold, mm-hmm. and the arc. You know those elements. And you know, I just wrote a poem the other day, and it was, you know some men need to find their way beneath the starlight. yep and that's 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 me. I, I resonate with more of those mm-hmm. if you want to call them like earthly elements. And that's what I like to do with my poetry. and my writing in general, to have a darker theme to it. And so it's to attract and I would get like this underground. Poetry called and attract these uh, attract these guys that resonate with, with those kinds of symbols. Have you heard of uh, Ivan Throne? Yeah, I have heard of Ivan Throne. I watched one of his presentations on the Twenty One Convention.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I thought it was a pretty decent presentation. Mm-hmm. I definitely an interesting guy. I haven't uh, researched too much about him, but uh, I what he said, I certain I certainly, you know, I was attracted to what he was saying. Like he kept my attention for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's interesting dude. I liked what he said to Roman too. Uh Roman McClay wrote Sanction. I remember seeing that clip. And that's what got me turned on to Ivan Throne. I've been following Roman McClay for so long. Uh and then when there was that clip of Ivan talking to Roman, I had to I got to see what this Ivan dude's about. He's, he's, uh, sounds like he's firing on all cylinders
2: here. 100%. Yeah. Do you, know, you so know Ivan? I do. I've met him. And, uh, it's interesting because one of the things that I'm doing with the Renaissance of Men is exploring all the different takes on masculinity that are out there right now in the world. So the way that a Jack Donovan will frame masculinity in his whole stay solar ideal is very different from what Ivan Throne does, he talks about the dark triad. So he's much more right. of a dark world. And so as you're as you're saying that, you know, it resonates so much with Jack Donovan, like it makes sense that like, oh well, there's Ivan Throne who's doing his thing. And they're not contradictory. They're complementary. And that's what sure. so exciting right now is you have all these different men exploring masculinity in all these really authentic and powerful ways that are complementary and have a lot to offer each other, kind of like, hey, I'm a I I rolled jujitsu and you're a boxer. Let's just fight and see what happens and see, you know, and see how these two completely different things work out with each other, you know, and and there's a lot that we have to learn from each other in that way. So you may really enjoy Ivan's content, his book, The Nine Laws is excellent.
1: Okay. Yeah, I haven't read it. Maybe I'll have to check it out because I certainly did enjoy his presentation, like I said. Mm -hmm. I, I listened to, I think I watched another one, not from the 21 convention, but yeah, I watched another one after. Yeah, definitely a guy I should check out more. There's so mm-hmm. many of them, <laughs> so many dudes that I'm sure there's, there's probably a dozen right now. I've never heard of that are just killing it.
2: Oh yeah. I find, I mean, literally every day, someone introduces me to someone new doing something, doing something interesting. And it's like and-
1: discovering a uh, mu- uh, musician. Like I've never heard of this guy's been around for 20 years and he's just killing it. I love this guy.
2: It's like yeah. a music festival, you know. You go to a music festival, and uh, when they used to happen, and you know, right. you're, you're jamming out to your favorite band at the stage, and you see everyone going to flock over to some other stage, and it's like, well, let's go see what's going on over there. You check out that band, and maybe you really like their stuff, and you discover a new band, or maybe you're wandering around. It is exactly like that. But but talking about masculinity, it's the only time in history that this has ever happened where men have had not only a need to reflect on what masculinity is, but the time to do it and the way to distribute it. So now you have hundreds, thousands of men and women too, all over the world reflecting on masculinity, writing about it, creating content and photography and poetry about it. What an incredible time to be alive, all things else considered. It's really, I mean, it's something that just fires me up every day.
1: Yeah, a lot of people will uh, I mean, they talk about what's going on and I mean, there's, a lot, there's a lot of bad shit going on right now. It's no shortage of that. No shortage of that. But you know what? The world's been ending for thousands of years. <laughs> yes, very slowly. Every day you wake up, it's ending. Like entropy is a real thing. Um, it's, but But now we've got this technology and it can be used for good or bad, but there's so many people using it for good, like you and me right now, for instance.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Me putting my books out, I've connected with many men across the world that have written me Words that I'm just blown away by, like your words changed my life. Well, anything, any kind of message like that, um blown away by it. And there are times when I feel like I should have been born 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. But when times, when instances like that happen, I'm, I know I was born in exactly the right time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Because 200 years ago, there's no winter webs, right? No. so uh it's all about using taking what you can from the empire and using it to kind of build your own within it there's a lot of useful tools right now technology is i mean you can talk to someone through a screen about your work promote your work but you can you can do anything with it now the internet. Is incredible. And if I wasn't so shit at marketing, I'd probably be doing better.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's, that's one of the great things for me about having a podcast is to discover someone's work and to be moved and inspired by it and to be able to say, hey, guys, you need to come check this guy out. And, you know, we were talking about poetry a minute ago. And, you know, I do the series series Poetry for Men. Mm -hmm. And, my my theory with that series is that poetry speaks to our lives as men more than we currently realize because we have this image in our minds of artists in uh we you know we don't have many Ernest Hemingway Jack London style artists anymore they're kind of gone and the artist is portrayed yeah. as sort of weak or effeminate or withdrawn or something like or 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 not masculine in some in some essential way meanwhile you have thousands of years of artists doing super manly shit you know what i mean like being pirates or conquerors or priests used to be a pretty admirable profession fighting in wars etc and so i found your stuff and the stuff that you were writing about and the stuff that i felt behind the writing i was like this is this is poetry for men capital m men and that's why instantly i was like i got to talk to this guy and i didn't even know anything else besides the poetry that you had written on instagram i didn't know about your books or anything like that because right. you proved my theory true, that it's possible to write and to fight and that it's possible to to be a man in both of these ways at the same time and not lose anything in either. And I think that's really exciting and that more men need to know about that because If we all recall earlier in the conversation, we're talking about literally getting in fights on the street and preparedness in that, you know, if if someone confronts you, if three men cross the street, like it's on, what are you going to do? That's legit fighting. And now here we are talking about poetry and these things are not separate in men, but we're sold that they are. And uh, so thank
1: you for proving my theory true. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to be one or the other. Uh, Like Musashi wrote the book of five rings. He was a painter, calligraphy, obviously he's a writer because he wrote the book, mm-hmm. but he also like killed his first man in a duel when he was 12 years old or something. Mm, wow. So have you read with the Book of Five Rings?
2: I haven't, but I had a guest on my podcast, uh, Arthur Dane. He runs a podcast called Blood and Rain. You guys should talk to for sure. And that's uh, a really... Blood and Rain? Book. Blood and Rain, yeah.
1: Okay. I think that.
2: <laughs> Training to be a professional, um, is it, it's not Muay Thai, is it Thai kickboxing or something like that? It's some sort of yeah, yeah. Thai kickboxing, yeah. Yeah. He's trained to be a professional Thai kickboxing fighter. And he has a, Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. He has a background in theater. He went to theater school in London. So again, here's another guy fusing these things together.
1: Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's great. It's, it's cool. when I think back, but the different martial artists I've met almost all of them have been involved in some kind of art, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's music or writing or painting or like all of them can do at least one of those things or want very badly to do one of those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. There's not very many of them I can think of that, you know, just do the martial arts or work out and go slam a few beers, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's a few like that. And, and we, we need we need those guys because you can't have everyone being a martial artist and a painter <laughs> um, got to have a martial artist and a beer drinker too so, <laughs> so uh uh yeah we need them around but uh i, I find that they're the minority mm-hmm. in my experience
2: oh yeah it's it's rare to find painters who are martial artists it may not be it may yes. not it's not it, well, it's it's less rare to find martial artists who are painters, but to find a painter who says, you know what, I really need to round out about myself.
1: I need to get better at
2: fighting. Like that's usually what they think, you know.
1: That's very true. You have a very good point there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like, how can I sharpen this paintbrush and like stick it in somebody like that? I haven't really, I've really thought about that. Yeah, <laughs>
2: you gotta be prepared if not. anything. When are you? Where are you most likely to be attacked in your studio?
1: Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> better sharpen those paintbrushes yeah exactly start whittling man, get them sharpened up vampires <laughs> are coming through the door
2: you know if you can't have your arms folded in your right hand you, right. Can-
1: you gotta conceal that, conceal paintbrush Carrie. exactly <laughs> Good thing now, people are gonna start making kydex sheets for, for paintbrushes
2: <laughs> it's gonna print
1: on your shirt, is that a paintbrush? A, is that a paintbrush you're concealing there Ben? <laughs> <laughs> And you know what they're going to be able to market their stuff better than i'm going to be able to market my shit. that's the problem
2: <laughs> we're going to find you we got to find you someone who's in marketing
1: yeah well thanks for that i mean this is helping out for sure mm-hmm. this is cool mm-hmm. no i was like hopefully you know someone checks out my stuff hopefully this you know it's, and if you know what even if no one does it's been an awesome conversation so far so i don't even care
2: oh so. i have a feeling people i have a feeling people will want to check out your stuff just if only because what you described about onwards well i've and i've read your your first book and and i want i want the print version now because i feel like i would i would enjoy the experience of reading that in print because i could just open to any page and you and can, yeah. a short essay and be like oh that's what i needed to read you know that uh, that's called what bibliomancy you know you take a book and you just open to a oh. random page and
1: it has word bomb word bomb <laughs> yes all right bibliomancy
2: yeah that's an actual thing where it's like if you have a question you pick up a book whatever book you have around and you flip to a random page and that's supposed to be your answer so okay. like, written th- that sounds like three books that would be great for bibliomancy
3: they are all right
2: i didn't know that but they are okay and then you knowledge bomb sweet <laughs> we're learning well and then you've got your then you've got your novel which i'm already going to go by now because that sounds like a really a, a really especially the bit about how he's um about how john rudd i think you said his name is yeah
3: that's the name yeah He's kind
1: of
2: working through kind of working through not only his grief but his guilt. you know, it's not just a revenge story, though it is that. It's also him at, you know, as we were talking about in the conversation, you have to be prepared to defend yourself and the ones you love. And if you're not there to do that or not able to do that, there's a good bit of guilt there and that that's that's a really good insight into the male character that not only would he be motivated by revenge for revenge revenge's sake but that he would feel so bad in himself that he wasn't there to perform his primary duty as a man, which is to protect.
1: Right. And especially like in the book, I mentioned that his wife was so proud of him because he had protected her thus far. Oh, wow. And he thought about those words that he had, that she had told him as he's looking at her dead body. You know? So it's, um, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a lot in the book, uh, a lot of, a lot of grit and emotion and that's in there. Um, certainly on purpose. I put as much in there as I could, mm-hmm. and the uh, <clears throat> the the different philosophies I could put in there, I enjoyed because like there were real villains in that book, mm-hmm. and I could just dig inside their heads. Like, what is this guy going to say next? Mm-hmm. What are they going to do next? And I could really access that dark part of human nature that I. Couldn't really access in a nonfiction book because mm-hmm. this only really fits in the story, right? Um, because in the story you can act it, act those thoughts out. In a nonfiction book, you can't really do that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that was a writing mm-hmm. the villains was my favorite part of the book. Mm-hmm. Like if I to, every time the villains came out, I'm like, yeah, let's go. I can just there's no there's no borders here. Like there's complete, there's like inhumane sociopaths. This is get after it here. Yeah, it was a lot of a lot of fun to write the villains.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, that's
2: to be able to read fiction that's challenging in that way is very um, is very rare. And I think um, we mentioned um, we mentioned uh, Roman McClay, and I want to talk about him and his work as well. But he and oh, I. Yeah. You know, I exchanged a couple emails, and he had sent me a tweet from uh, from Mike Cernovich about uh, that Mike had said, not referencing Roman specifically, but that said, all the interesting writing that's happening these days is happening outside of the major publishers. It's all happening through guys who are self publishing their stuff, particularly in fiction. And I just interviewed uh, the author of this book called Content. Uh, his name is M.T. White, another recommendation from Jameson. Jameson has great taste in all things. So, right just talk to him. And this would be considered, you know, considered like not, it's not all right fiction, but it, 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 it proposes challenging ideas that involve you having to go into that world and recognize so many things about it that are wrong. And that's the whole journey of the book. But in order to engage with that, you have to be willing to engage with that. And like the major publishers just won't, you know what I mean? And so to, yeah. to, read, to read fiction now, that's challenging, that's dark, you know, that forces you to, to challenge your preconceived notions and open up to new ideas, that's not being published by the major publishers anymore. But men still crave fiction. You can't just read nonfiction books or watch YouTube videos. There's some truths that you can tell in fiction that you can't tell any other way.
1: That's very true. And not only that, but a human being will learn lessons and be able to reflect upon different philosophies better if it's Interweave with a story Mm -hmm. they can they kind of have you know they can see themselves as the character and they can have perhaps some empathy with the character and they can see parts of that character um they wanted to develop like like when you read conan you're like there's parts of conan that i want to develop myself to be more like
3: Mm -hmm.
1: i want to be more like i can't be conan the barbarian but i want to be more like conan the barbarian
3: Mm -hmm.
1: and that doesn't happen for me with nonfiction. I don't read like um a book called whatever 10 steps to becoming a better version of you by John Smith.
3: Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: like the fuck that. I'm reading Conan. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very different book. <laughs> or, I'm, or I'm reading Sanction. Yeah. Uh, whoever's listening, you ever read Sanction, go buy Sanction. What are you doing? Are are you doing? Great sanction right yeah, now. That's right. pause, go by sanction, come back and listen to the rest of this conversation. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That that book, man, that's a... <laughs> it's literally a heavy subject. Mm-hmm. This is like 6,000 pages. Mm-hmm. Eight and a half by 11.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: The Times New Roman. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have... Any weights around? You could just lift the book. It's a weapon. It's a weapon. Yeah, you could definitely commit a few homicides with that
2: thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it the, the
1: Bible. It reminds of- me of like those thick phone books that used to be around, you know. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it's like that. Ah. <laughs> Tried doing messy with that one. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. But uh, I forget. I forget what you were. You were going with the Bill and the Play thing.
2: No, I was, I mean, was that, that was a pretty impactful book
1: uh, for for me. me, Yeah. Very, very impactful. I mean, every, every once in a while you come across a guy who like that just makes you do two things. This is what sanction did for me. It confirmed I was right all along. (laughs) And number two, it made me realize that I am, well, no, it just did one thing. It made me realize I was right all along because there's so much in that book that I just nod my head I'm like yeah mm-hmm. and on the flip side there's so many things that make me just say yeah I am as dumb as I thought I was this guy is on another level mm-hmm. and it's just really it's just really cool to read something so descriptive and visceral. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the way Roman rips apart modern culture is like, it's like a line ripping apart as a gazelle, just a beautiful thing to behold, really, you know, just tears it apart. It's just, um, it's, I am so glad I live in that time, like right now where I can read a book like Sanction. That's Mm -hmm. how much I like that book, you know, it right. And you, I wasn't the same man. When I finished it, I was a different guy.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's not just because it took me eight months to read. Right. It's because of the content of the book. Oh, I agree. you can live eight months and not evolve at all. Yeah, I
2: mean, but to, to, to the effort of reading, I've only read book one and there's there's three books. It's actually one, I guess it's one long book split into three. So I've only, yeah. I've only finished, I guess, part one. It's still um, quite an
1: accomplishment to finish that.
2: For sure. Oh, yeah. Because I tell people like, the first 30% of the book is actively trying to get you to stop reading. Like the book is doing yeah. its power to like, fuck you. You don't deserve to read me, you know, just to be yes. and breaking all the rules and just big words and throw characters being thrown in and things not being tied together. And it's like being higher. Yeah. And it's like, if you can make it through that, you know, it's really worth it, but you have to make it through that. And it's not easy.
1: It's not easy at all, man. It doesn't get any easier. <laughs> It just, it, yeah, the, the, the book I've, I finished reading all three and now I'm on one again and the book still, as I'm reading it, let's get hit with something. Whoa. All right. I just got to put the book down, think about it and then continue to read. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Still does that. And it always will, because there's so many words. There's so many different philosophies and characters in there that I'm never going to, I mean, I'll never remember like uh, a quarter of it.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
1: Just because the, the way it's written is it's, it's like entire. It's written with um, very poetic prose as well. A lot of it is. Not all of it, but a lot of it is. Yeah, it's just, know, just go by sanction, everyone.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And Roman, if you ever listen to this, come down from your goddamn mountain.
3: <laughs>
1: we need you. Yeah,
2: people have, uh, like myself, have have so many questions about the book and so much, yeah. so much that's in it. Just to read it is is really nourishing, I think, in a very uh, a very soulful way. Just, and I, I love the way that he writes about the inner life of the alpha male. To say that you know these are people who these are men who are portrayed as being dumb brutes or selfish or everything, but he lays out so clearly that you know, men who take on that that role of leadership feel everything more acutely than anyone else does because they're responsible for everybody else. And so they that. take so much onto themselves. And I don't know that I'd ever, I'd ever read anyone brave enough to say that because, you know, people can't hear what men don't say and men don't always express their own inner struggles because they don't want to appear, um, I guess, weak in doing so. It's like, no, I got this, don't worry about it. You know, but to actually surface that in a way is is incredibly powerful in a way that i don't know that i've ever i can think of any other author really doing so overtly Uh, and i thought that that was one of the many amazing accomplishments of the book in addition to the overall message of you know what's coming and everything like that
1: i'm I'm with you there 100 uh roman does that a lot throughout the book just able to break things down in a way i've never read before and yeah a, a lot of people will either see an alpha male. I mean, I hate labeling things now.
2: I didn't like using that term either.
1: I don't like using that term because if like you have a group of four guys and one's the best fighter and you're in a violent situation, he's the alpha. But if you're in the mountains and one guy's can start a fire with no matches and he's the alpha because he can keep you warm, you know, so it's very situational. But anyways, for lack of better terms, the way he describes the Alpha as this guy isn't a brute, like you said, he is probably the individual who cares about the group the most, and he's also not a weapon; he is an absorbing shield. Mm-hmm. should be seen as that as as well. And 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 on the on the uh, other spectrum, he introduces the Sigma male, and that really helped me understand myself because I I started digging more into the Sigma archetype, mm-hmm. uh, not so I could, you know, march around like, oh, that's what I am. That's what I am. But there's definitely characteristics there because I, I am an extreme introvert. Mm-hmm. I don't go out of my way to, uh, meet people or make new friends. And, uh, I, I like there's a lot of people, are uncomfortable being alone, but that's when I am most comfortable. A lot of the time, I there's to me like sitting in my house at night in the quiet <laughs> is severely under an underappreciated activity. And a lot of people are like, oh, I don't like that at all. And I kind I've been like that ever since I was a child. Like very, I've always been like that. I've never been one to want to be picked on a team or lead a team in school or lead a project i just want a lot of time really to be left alone Mm -hmm. and just be in my own headspace and i never really understood why Mm -hmm. uh i figured it was genetic but i wasn't really sure and after reading sanction and being being introduced to the sigma archetype um it kind of shed some light on a a lot of the my my different thoughts and behaviors Hmm. surround being around other people um, and why I feel most comfortable a lot of the time being by myself and that it's not a bad thing it's not something that is wrong with me it's just there are different personality types and that's that's of the one i i took on from a really young age for whatever reason probably because i was ostracized in school for being different so i preferred to be by myself um and yeah i just kind of grew up that way i wasn't you know i'm not like some anti-social freak or anything i just give me uh the light from one lamp and a leather chair and some quiet and i'm good to go Mm -hmm. uh yeah Roman really helped me
3: uh,
1: understand that side of myself and why I am the way I am and to not change for a world that wouldn't change for me. and to know knowing that about yourself myself now is almost like a superpower because I can I know what I need to avoid mm-hmm. and I know what and who I want around me. Basically, it, it kind of I hate using the word trigger. Because mm-hmm. it's way overused as like some you know in the circles of victimhood. But <clears throat> I I know what's gonna set me off and I know that I instead of just changing, like I was saying just before here, instead of changing, just avoid that what sets you off. Just don't go there.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know? uh, so yeah, that is that is, uh, well, I mentioned the one thing it did for me, the book did for me was prove that I was right all along. And number two, there you go, the Sigma archetype, I was introduced to, and it helped me understand, um, more uh, about who I was and why I was that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so very, bene- very beneficial reading. And every time I, you know, I'm re- like I said, I'm reading it again now, and I love reading it the second time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Because I know, number one, what kind of writing to expect, like very complex words and prose and a story. Number, number two, I know the philosophies that are going to be reintroduced to me, but now I can like peel back a few of the layers and go a little bit deeper. Because I, I just know the first time you're like, oh my God, what am I reading this book? It's huge. It's like, you know, you kind of get overwhelmed at times, but now I go in with with uh with the knowing of of what to expect. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it would be maybe similar to trying to Roman would like this. It's like it's trying to navigate your ship through a through a storm the first time. Mm -hmm. First time you reach sanction. The second time it's still a storm storm and but your your ship's got a few upgrades now and your navigational skills are better and and you're you you can you can just see the world that you're in a little bit better and you can uh it's just not so um daunting of a task really
3: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah it's um when i read the book it was a very daunting task and and jameson has talked about um how in the later books, he gets more into the Sigma male archetype, which I'm really curious about because yeah, there are a lot of guys that sort of put on that identity now. And um, so I'm curious. Yeah. It's
1: almost become like an unfortunate trend.
2: Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, Oh, it's, I'm the, I'm, I'm the loner, the lone wolf outsider. It's like, well, if you have that identity about yourself, like you should actually be learning about yourself. It's not something you like to be, whatever you are, whether you're an alpha or a Sigma or whatever, as soon as you put that on as an identity, you've cheapened it in a way, even if it's true. Even if it's true, it doesn't it, it's not a it's not something that, that looks good on
1: anybody. For sure. And if you put labels on yourself, you're probably not that thing. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't talk that usually up. it's someone else that will put the label on you. And you might not be that thing either. But um yeah, guys that go around labeling themselves as alpha. Oh I'm, <laughs> also, I'm so elf. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Look. All right. All right. Let's do your thing yeah so i can be over here not hanging out with you though <laughs> very much so very
2: much and yeah like that's the thing if you want to be alpha like finish sanction
1: a t-shirt i'm so alpha i finished sanction that's what it needs to stay that's right so i still got i've still got two
2: two more books to finish but you know i, I like what you said about um Navigating through uh, through unfamiliar waters the first time because that's very much the feeling. But then when I finish book one, it's like okay, I feel like I'm strong enough to finish book two and book three because <laughs> yeah, that it, I'll it, know how to navigate this and I can imagine going back into the books a second time and and being familiar with the plot. You probably pick up on on so much else that you that you missed before or that's so good and so familiar to read again.
1: Yeah, there, there I just read. A passage that i that i remembered from reading from the first time and i i still loved it but it was even better now right because you yeah it's, it's it's like any it's not just like any book i don't want to say that but in a way it is like when i read blood meridian mm-hmm. i back mccarthy when i read that again and again and again every time i read it i'm just so enamored with it it's my favorite book hmm. uh, and he's my favorite author um but yeah it's very much very much reading between the lines now okay with sanction so, it, what do you mean i don't by sorry what do you mean by that well there's <clears throat> you just you read the words but you see them on different levels now i'm able to i'm able to kind of roman talks about writing on writing the message and conveying it on different levels so you have the underworld you have the world you're in and then you have the godly world above
3: Mm
1: -hmm. there's three different worlds there so now as i'm reading it i'm kind of leaving the world that i'm in i guess like i'll read the message but then i'll I'll try and 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 see the above and below of it Mm. I'll try and take it to it. It's really hard to explain because I don't have like a particular example because mm-hmm. I can only think I can only do it when I'm actually reading the book. Of course. But whatever the philosophy I might be that he's reading, um, I'm just able to reflect upon it in, in different realms within myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of getting in maybe a bit too hard to explain because it's something i've never explained before this is something i felt when i'm reading it um, but it, it's kind of like you just it's an out-of-body experience and you can observe where you're at in in life now or where you're at with thinking about a philosophy in a certain way and kind of climbing up to a i don't want to say enlightenment but either looking at it from a higher position or from a lower position. So you're looking up at it or looking down on it. Mm-hmm. You're not kind of stuck in the tunnel,
3: mm-hmm.
1: looking straight ahead. You kind of got this 3d thing going on like a drone You can kind of look everywhere. I I guess that's a, the best metaphorical explanation I can give you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's just recognizing what what's written there isn't the only thing that's there.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: There's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of ghosts on the page. And if you look, you'll find them. Mm. Maybe, maybe you won't, maybe you will. And maybe I did a bad job of explaining it, but Hey, fuck it. That's as best I can do right now.
2: I exactly. I know exactly what you mean, because having read through Part one, um, as I'm reading it, I'm just aware that there's so much more going on in the story that I'm capable of picking up right now because I'm just learning the writing style. I'm working on absorbing some of the scientific or philosophical concepts. I'm trying to figure out who the characters are and how they all fit together. Like To read a book, to read any book probably for the first time, is to only get a very surface experience of the book because you're absorbing it linearly. Once you've read the book and you know what's coming and you're familiar with all of the details, um, I see what you mean about being able to navigate the book in three dimensions because you can see, you can you can process so much more because you're not there on the ground. You're sort of from an elevated position, like you say, or you're deep in it. That makes now that you express it that way, that makes total sense. I never thought of it that way, but I know that there's a quote from a famous writer that said, um, "Rereading is reading," or something like that. Like, oh, you know, I
1: love that quote. That's great. Yeah, you'll never get yeah, it. true. It's a beautiful way to explain it!
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And rewriting is writing. <laughs> ah, yes, there you go. <laughs>
2: right. Well, that's what Hemingway said the first draft of the first draft of anything is shit.
1: That's that was what Hemingway. Yeah, it's fucking garbage, man. Throw it out. <laughs> write your now. Write what you were going to write in the first
2: place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get the get the crap out first.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's important to do. And I think that's the same thing that goes with that with reading sanction. Like you, you kind of just. Got to get all this shit out of your mind that's getting in the way of you actually trying to figure out the book because it's just so massive, and the language and everything. Like you just got to get past the intimidation factor. Once you can do that, you can absorb what's in there. Mm-hmm. It is an intimidating book to read. I ain't gonna lie. Like I ain't gonna beat around the bush here. It's a fucking behemoth,
3: mm-hmm. and
1: I, I'll understand. I, I think I said this earlier, but I'll never understand even a, even a quarter of what's in there. But you know. Each time I read it, I might get that one sixteenth of understanding again
3: mm-hmm. and
1: and reread it and reread it until um until I'm not here anymore, you know. It's that kind of book, really yeah. is for me. Oh yeah.
2: Once once I mean once you read the book, it's it's hard to exit the aesthetic universe of that book. And it's also hard to um, to read other kinds of writing because Anything yeah. great stuff from the past is sort of missing something and because it's, I mentioned before our conversation, um, this musician, Bronson Lee Norton, who I had on my podcast and mm-hmm. we were talking about music and about how it's very difficult to find music that speaks to You know, the the era that we're living in now, because everything changed in 2020 in some fundamental ways. And to find music that's somehow able to acknowledge that, like you can't listen. I can't listen to 2019 stuff without feeling somewhat like nostalgic and before it's like, I want something that speaks to this moment. And what Bronson said was that the music that does that is with bands who have created this aesthetic universe to step into that create something escapist and the same with fiction, like to step into, even though Roman wrote the book about 2015 or 2017 or something like that within the past five years, there's something that feels very contemporaneous and very relevant about it and you step into it and it speaks to our modern age very, very powerfully. And to find a book like that, to find books like that is very, very challenging because People don't want to confront it, but he did very, very boldly and very bravely. Which I, I shamelessly promote that book.
1: Yeah, no, me too. I just got uh, like my best friend. He just finally started reading it a few weeks ago, and I'd mentioned it to him. You know, a couple of years ago, and when I first started reading it, first one, he's like, "Oh, okay, thank you, Yeah, thank you, What What fuck are you on? <laughs> so uh, he finally. Picked it up. and he called me, he's, just, he's, dude, thank you for introducing me to this book. And he said, thank you also for not pushing it on. Thanks for just mentioning it. And you know you you mentioned it a few times. Uh, you anyway, know every once in a while we get together, you, you you would mention it. Um, and, you know, I'd always see it at your house on your table or whatnot. It's like this big freaking thing and and he loves to read. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's just he loves that book. Just, he's just enthralled with it and it's he reads twenty you know, twenty pages a day oh, yeah, cool. he, he's really digging it so um, it, it's cool to see it's cool it's cool to be able to give that to someone you you really you just love that person and you want them to read this book and then they they do it and you and you love them even more for it now mm-hmm yeah he he love he loves the book he's just um he says the same thing he's like i never read anything like it
2: mm-hmm. there isn't anything
1: like yeah there isn't anything like it, and there never will be another book like it ever mm-hmm. ever <laughs> the, that Roman came along he was like put here to write that fucking book
4: <laughs> oh yeah,
1: like no one else in in the history of existence of of a future, past, present, whatever, could write sanction, except Roman.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: No one could write a book like that except that fucking maniac at the top of a mountain at eight eighty seven hundred feet mm-hmm. <laughs> so pretty uh, an amazing feat.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's- he puts all the pieces together that we've been talking about today, with you know, creating an aesthetic universe and and writing and preparedness and fighting and and uh, and artistry and and expanding on all these different aspects of masculinity. Like it's all just there in this book and a thing that you can yeah. read and, and and a fictional story. And, and for that reason, there isn't a book like it. And like you said, there probably won't be another one again that comes along in this uh, in this in this very particular moment.
1: No, I don't. I really truly believe that there will never be anything that ever again remotely
2: like it. I really believe that. Even Moby Dick isn't anything like it. And he references Moby Dick throughout the book. And I've read that. It's like, that's not exactly the same thing. It's a great book. It's
1: incredible, but it's not the same. See, with Moby Dick, I I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't read it. It's tough. It's really hard. Like I just could not get into it. Um, So he's referencing Moby Dick throughout the book. I'm like, fuck, I cannot read that book. But uh, I mean, it didn't matter. Um, you know, I would. You know, some people couldn't get through Blood Meridian, and I would understand why. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I tried reading Moby Dick um, as I was reading Sanction.
2: <laughs> Interesting,
1: kind of at the same time. Hey, mm-hmm. maybe I'll try that again. But yeah, I just I couldn't get on with the the way Moby Dick was written, like the style, Moby, the way of the of uh, the way they wrote back then. I just couldn't. Oh yeah, couldn't do it. Maybe if there was like a really modern translation or not, not translation, but adaptation, mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. of a modern English, I would get it, but then it would lose a lot of it's, it would, they would have to be a very particular person. Mm-hmm. It would take a very particular person to do that and, and do it well. Otherwise a lot of the prose, which is beautiful, would be lost with the imagery. So yeah, it's best probably just to leave. Let legends lie. I would say.
2: <laughs> yeah. Another book that comes to mind that's really good to read is um, "Heart of Darkness" by Joseph Conrad. That's another great book, short, easy. I have to not read. read it. So good, so good. It's it's the book that well, sort of that Apocalypse Now was based on. So that's the Vietnam the Vietnam oh. movie where I think Mar- yeah, young Martin Sheen goes in, into the forest and discovers goes into the jungle and finds um Marlon Brando, and that was based on a book by Joseph Conrad. It's so good. The end of that book is just incredible. It's like a kind of Heart of Darkness. Yeah, it's great. You close the book and it's just like, you just got to sit with that for a minute. Like, whoa. Okay. Right. Really excellent. Okay. Let's check a, that out. Yeah. There's another writer. Um, he sent me his book that I'm reading now. His name is Andrew Edwards and uh, it's called King of Dogs. And it's another post-apocalyptic book as well.
1: King of Dogs. I started reading like just online. Just, I was started reading the sample and I was liking it, mm-hmm. but I never did buy it. It's great. That's yeah great. yeah there's a there's a
2: gunfight that takes place during one of the guys is on on mushrooms it's crazy
1: oh <laughs> <laughs> have you read it all no
2: i haven't finished it I'm maybe like a third of the way through
1: okay hmm. king of dogs yes yeah, I, I think i came across that on i don't know if it was on gum road or something mm, maybe maybe it was it's on amazon though i know that
2: for sure for sure
1: Good suggestions man i'm going to check them out for sure I can, always re- I can always use some good literature sure
2: yeah well i'm reaching the time uh i've got to get going to go train with some of my friends but this, oh what are you doing well we're gonna go do hill sprints and we're bringing our um, we're bringing our gloves and our maces and our kettlebells and we're just gonna go train in a field in, in dallas Sweet. hill sprints
1: oh man yeah not jealous of you <laughs>
2: I am also not jealous of myself, but uh, we have uh, one of our friends lives here, and and, uh, he's he's competitive in jujitsu, and uh, John is his name, and uh, he's a professional ultimate frisbee player. Not as deep that on the side, and so yeah, he trains every day and and does hill sprints. And he says no one cares. Work harder, so coming to Dallas, train with him and do hill
1: sprints. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh man, I'm going to get out of that one because of the leg. So I'm blessed there. <laughs> Gosh, that bullet,
3: man! That
1: a close one. Was... <laughs> <laughs> you guys can. You guys, I'm good, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll watch you. <laughs> How about that? I got you. I got you guys. Good. You got you. I got you back. I'll be the timer. be <laughs> so... stopwatch. Stopwatch guy. <laughs> I forgot my gym strip. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Well, you know, I left my leg at home. You guys are going to have to do this one. (laughs) Yeah. Hop up it. Hop up it. (sighs) That's very different. (laughs) climbing. just clawing my way up that thing. Yeah. Well, do the guys in your gym, do they
2: give you you shit for that sometimes in like a teasing kind of like, you know, a friendly way?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always self-deprecate too. A lot of the time, they like I'll have to pad up the prosthesis. Like if we're doing any kind of groundwork, right. you know, I got to slip over like a pad on it. Cause it's all carbon fiber and stainless steel, titanium and whatnot. So it's, uh, it's just, you know, it's not comfortable to feel grating against your bones.
3: Mm, yeah.
1: Like, Oh, that stupid thing. I'm like, yeah, I
3: know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. I live with it. <laughs> I
1: know. Yeah. I, I live with it. I get it. That yeah, it sucks.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, having it, you know, I've smacked my own hand on it or elbow. I'm like, Oh, what happened to your elbow? I broke it on my leg. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I've got so many, I got so many leg jokes that uh, I might, I might use a pen name and write a book of that. Uh, book. Okay. Hit me with a couple of leg jokes before we go. Oh, oh man. I don't, that you put me on the spot. They're kind of a, uh, it's kind of uh, a, what, what I'm just doing now, like off the cuff. That's the problem with them. You know, it just, they'll come to me. And if I'm not put in a situation where I'm not able to use it, then I just don't then I forget it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, dude.
2: That's okay. <laughs> I've gotten a couple. <laughs> well, we're have some, I don't have any leg jokes. No, you I don't got, have any. Leg jokes. I got, I got
1: bald jokes. Oh yeah. 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 I, I took out my uh I took out my electric razor yesterday. It was like all rusted to shit. I hadn't used it. <laughs> like, what is this? So I had to shave my head with this rusted thing. Like I hope I'm glad I got tet- I got my tetanus shot. I don't have uh but no um no Nick, so it's good. I then threw it in the trash and I'll buy another one. I buy a new one every few years. For mm-hmm. like 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta keep that, gotta keep that clean. Mine's getting a little long. Oh, I know. Mine was like, mine was maybe half an inch, which is insane. I, was, I used to have a lot of hair. Oh, wow. But it just transferred to my face. so <laughs> That's one that I used to. I just pushed it down out of my face. Yeah, I just went like, well, ah, there. Just pull it down a little bit. Yeah, just give myself a, a hair lowering. I don't know what you call that. <laughs> so, uh, hopefully you'll edit these out. I don't know. Maybe you should keep them in. I don't know. People, we'll see how it like my comedy i'm gonna i think i'm gonna start doing um uh live instagram videos where i read my poetry oh that'd be awesome i think i'm gonna try I'm gonna start doing that just kind of have it out with whoever's watching have a good time oh you should absolutely do that
4: i
2: think instagram live is a great platform and i'd love to hear you read the poetry too yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna try doing that are do you ever do instagram live stuff I've done a couple. I keep meaning to do more, but, um, I haven't been in a place lately to really do it. Okay. Yeah, I guess not.
1: I'll have to try that. But uh, anyway, man, you're out of time. So, uh, continue on with your day. Enjoy your training. Good luck with the sprints and the mace and whatever you end up doing there. Cause it's probably hot as balls over there. Pretty hot today. Yeah. Fuck the heat, man. (laughs) Lincoln's getting lazy.
2: Well, this has been uh, this has been great. This has been just to learn everything that I did today. I'm mean, gonna have a lot to think about and a lot to sh- a lot to share about. So, but where can people go? Where do you want to send people to learn more about you and what you do?
1: Uh, just much more mayhem, all one word. dot com, uh, or you can find me on Instagram at much more mayhem. Uh, Instagram much more mayhem. I also have a, a page for my novel, so you can go to onwards the novel on Instagram, or you can go to onwardsthenovel.com and uh, either one of those sites, you'll be able to find some of my work.
2: Excellent. Excellent. Well, before we go, do you have anything you'd like to say to the
1: audience? Uh, No surrender. How about that? Right on. Two words that should do it. Uh, Keep listening to Will's stuff. He's, He's got a great platform. Go read Sanction. Go read some Mayhem fight, write, create, form strong brotherhoods and relationships, uh, that'll do it. Be better.
2: That's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. Thank Ah. thank you so much, Jeff. That just sums it all up right there.
1: Thanks so much for having me on, Will. This was a true pleasure. And if we can ever do it again, I'll be uh, more than open to that.